Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole presents Run the Gamut. Season 3, your favorite hosts uh, go through all of their favorite bands and artists and we talk about one of the records. And uh, in tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about one of my uh, picks. It is the band Radiohead, and we're going to be talking about their fourth studio album, Kid A. In the past, we've tended to... Uh, I'll get to my fellow co-host introductions in just a second. Um, but we've decided to revert back to what the original mission statement of the show was, and to get little more lean and mean when it comes to uh, putting out these episodes we all have busy lives and you know when we find a subject to talk about we've turning things into almost two to three part episodes talking about the history of the bands talking about the entire discography talking about side projects and it got to be quite a bit and uh, in tonight's episode we are going to think the term is eschew the whole history and give you a little bit of history, but we don't need to go the Dan Carlin hardcore history on every band. We just hope that we uh, wet your whistle on some of these artists and you can go and discover more. Go down the rabbit hole on your own, if you will. So with that said, we are going to be discussing Radiohead's Kid A, and we will only be discussing Radiohead's Kid A in a very compact format but we'll see i mean uh we're we're flying the plane as we're building it as they say um but enough out of mark i want to introduce my two fellow co-hosts and co-creators uh in one corner i've got steven steven go ahead and say hello yes uh, i don't know how it happened but it you know at some point we started saying uh, oh this is a special band we got it you know what we got to talk more about their discography and before you know it, we were doing that like every other episode. And before you know it, three years have gone by and we're still not done with this thing. So uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's time to, you know, you can go back and listen to the hardcore history episodes on uh, all the bands we did those with, Run the Jewels, Romstein, Primus, Tool. A lot of stuff to dig into there. Uh, I think we got like, what, 10 more CDs, uh, albums to go through for this season, I think. Something like that. 10 or 11. Yeah, it's... Yeah. And yeah. if, we, if we if we keep up that structure, we'll be here until uh, the the sun burns out. And uh, I don't want this to ever feel like a chore. And this is a way we can make it move quicker. Mark brought it up in the the writers' room, and I started thinking about it. I was like, "Yep, we've we've strayed from the beam, as you would say in uh, the Dark Tower." And I think it would be good just to focus on the records uh, that are the topics, and if people want to explore, like like tonight, this album. Christ Almighty, like there's not enough like angst built on Radiohead. We we don't we don't exactly need to any if we were to spend time going into the history of Radiohead and all their records, we'd probably get half of it wrong. Because this this band is very well loved and very well documented. So you'll need to hear you'll need to hear the history from us. And yeah, uh, that's a good point. I mean, uh we love, you know, getting together and talking music with one another and then sharing our thoughts and opinions. Um hopefully it's entertaining for our listeners. Um but at the end of the day, we do all have very busy schedules um outside of doing this podcast and I feel that whenever we do come together, we should probably um keep things moving, uh not only to keep it fresh for ourselves, uh cuz there are times where we would record and we wouldn't be able to get 
two to three weeks later to actually talk about the record that we initially were supposed to talk about. And by that time, we're all kind of anxious to get to the next thing. And so if we could just, you know, get strike where the iron's hot and uh, that way we can move through these things faster and we may even have a bit more of a livelier discussion. And that, that's um, funny with with this band in particular. Like I start, we started it. Like I just was like, all right, I'm gonna listen to all the albums and all the side projects, I guess. And after about a day of that, I was like, I can't do this. This is too much. Yeah, uh, it's just so. Anyways, yeah, I think it, yeah, everyone's gonna win. It'll be fine. Uh, just, just it'll it'll take you back to when this thing first started, and it was just uh, album by album. That's all we talked about. Um, I'd say that like uh. Yeah, I think Romstein was probably <laughs> where it grew the most out of control. <laughs> that was like a, a month and a week of uh, episodes. Um, anyways, yeah, so Steve is here, and uh, we'll try to keep things moving at a good clip. But never, we will, we will never sacrifice the quality at the, uh, the, you know, in order to save time. We're just going to have to prepare less or, or not, not, I mean... We say, hey, it's Kid A. And the way we used to do it is then we spend the next six weeks listening to everything that radio has done. And then at the end, talk about Kid A. It just doesn't work. It's not anymore. Yeah. Enough said. Enough said. Uh, and then the other corner, uh, we have the man who really does do a lot of the research, uh, does a great job of uh, analyzing lyrics. And that is Eric. Eric, say hello. Let me paint a picture here. Uh, uh, I'm in the back of a horse-drawn carriage, licking, licking my quill, writing on a parchment, the final notes for this Radiohead episode, all the discography, my thoughts on Pablo Honey, over a cobblestone road. I get out, papers falling out of my satchel as I run up to the house and I hear Mark say, no more histories, no more discographies. <laughs> the thunder cracks, the lightning strikes, and I, and I stuff all the parchment in the nearest, the nearest rubbish bin. That's it. It's gone. <laughs> All my work. It's fucking gone. It's, it's probably close to what happened. And yeah, this is, I, I did feel kind of bad because I know that you, Eric, you seem to, I don't know how you do it, man. You find all the time that you're very, your dad with a very, uh, a, a career that involves you to be very involved. Uh, people, other people's livelihoods and their kids' brains depend on you. And you've got a wife that you're a good husband to. I, yet you always make time to watch things and, and and listen to things and and then speak of them critically. Yeah, you're the one that's suffering the most here because I don't know how you do it, but you always find time. Uh, I like time. a project. I will continue to do full discographies. Well, well, <laughs> with uh, certain exceptions, I will continue to do some discographies. I it just gets me in the mood, but. Um, I I fully endorse this this uh, this route this efficiency, uh, lean and mean uh, all all uh, what's that all rock no soccer whatever yeah 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 all killer no filler and then yeah. uh, one more thing while we're cleaning house and then we should get moving because we keep talking about trying to move things faster now the house cleaning stuff I'm already over my agenda here I said five minutes um. I don't. I don't think most people look at the lit, the master list that floats around out there. But we did quietly make a revision this week. We we discussed it, and uh, we voted garbage off the list, the the band garbage, and we swapped them out with uh, Peter Gabriel. So yeah, we don't know. We don't know when we're going to talk about it because it's at random. But 
if you were sticking around hoping we were going to get to garbage one day, this isn't your podcast. Yeah, the patriarchy won again. Uh, but I, I, I have been listening to almost nothing but Peter Gabriel for 13 months. So it just made sense to swap them out. Sorry. Yeah, it's, uh, we like to keep things uh, a good variety on the list. I just think Peter Gabriel, he fits our he he fits our brains good enough. Would be a disservice not to do that. Uh, so if it comes up, it's so so. Yep. Yep. There you go. Yeah, I've already reordered the list on that. So, um, I mean, no offense to garbage. It's just I feel that Peter Gabriel has a wider width, uh, width and breadth of a career to really discuss, and especially so. Um, but maybe we'll get to that garbage record at one point in the future. Because uh, yes. I do think it's important to talk about female-led bands. Uh, you know, we do have a lot of male-fronted uh, 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 things that are going on here, and I do appreciate their uh, part on the list. But yeah, it's it was time to make a, an executive decision. Uh, so moving things along, anything on the newswire? Have you guys heard about this? Have you heard about this? Uh, let's uh, break. You know, we always. When we're looking through the ticker of all the bands we've talked about before, some weeks are heavy, some weeks are light, but we always look at Nine Inch Nails followed by David Bowie first. Well, David Bowie's dead, so unless there's a movie coming out or some such, it's hard to uh, find good news about him. Um, Old Trent Reznor, though, he's always in the news somehow, and uh, he's in the news because of that other guy that's been in the news. Did you guys hear about this? Did you hear that Elon Musk, uh, Elon Musk, the owner of Twitter now? He called Trent Reznor a crybear- crybaby. Did you hear about this? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, and uh, Elon Musk is definitely morphing into um, seeing how there's a huge vacancy in Twitter of the former fuckhead um, that he shall remain nameless. I think that he's trying to bring that level of tweeting uh, around that in order to kind of give you that same flavor. And it's yeah, not appreciated. That energy, because... Yeah, he was already causing problems, and then he did that stupid poll where he was ah, we're going to let the other guy back on. And the other guy owns his own shitty uh, Twitter knockoff, and the other guy said he wouldn't come back because he didn't want to leave his, his shitty Twitter knockoff. So now old Elon's kicked it up a notch, and he's really, uh, he's really being ridiculous and trying to have that energy there. And uh, Trent Reznor said, uh, you know what? This is stupid, and I'm tired of billionaires being stupid. I'm not going to stick around on this service. And Elon Musk said something like, uh, Trent Reznor's a genius and I love his music, but he's a crybaby. And then some random Twitter person said, uh, something that I thought was hilarious, which is, uh, you know, Trent Reznor wrote March of the pigs. Anybody can create cars that explode, com- <laughs> uh, spontaneously. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Disrespato, disrespado. Yeah. Just awful, awful. Shut your mouth. Elon. Yeah, so Twitter's a garbage fire. We all know that. Uh, Mark, you abandoned ship, right? You got out. You got off. I did once. Uh, my Lord and Savior Trent did. I thought it was time for me to as well. Yeah, I kept <laughs> I kept talking the talk, but I just um, uh, I don't know. It, I, I tell you, I know. I I mean, it, it after going cold turkey for the last couple of days, um, you know, it's crossed my mind. Should I go back? Just because there are some really great content creators on Twitter that make me smile. Um, it's just in my deep down, uh, I just don't want, um, the, my user, uh, you know, 
all of my engagement that I have on Twitter. I don't want that to be used on a spreadsheet of like, you know, trying to lure advertisers in. And as Elon Musk is dropping the gates of moderation um, and letting uh, really horrible ideas um, get spread again, I don't really want to, you know, be that number on a, on a, I'd rather see Twitter fail at this point. Um, if this is the strategy for that company. I, I agree. I don't like being part of the problem in a way. It's I've just addicted. is not the word I would use, but it's the internet inside of the internet that I've used for years for news. And I just, it's i uh, I'd have to, I got to figure out where do I get information from in a way that's not a pain in the ass again. Um, no, I, I agree. Was, it's like yeah, real time stuff. Like I agree. Like during the election, um, I follow reputable sources, but like getting that, like in the moment information, I think Twitter does have its, uh, uh, has its pluses, but at the same time, if it's going to be run the way that Elon's running it, I, I, I can't, you know, yeah, I can't, I, 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 tr- I tried sitting, setting up RSS feeds again and I couldn't even figure out how to do it anymore. Um, Eric, you got any opinions on uh, Elon Musk and Trent Reznor? Uh, no, no. You guys said it all. You guys said it all. Yeah, yeah. I, who, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. I mean, you got I, Trent made the right choice, and did Mark and I and I am am waiting to get the balls to make the right choice as well. <laughs> well, if anybody has to run the uh, our our very small social network uh footprint it's you so yeah i better yeah. figure it dragging out my, dragging my feet <laughs> dragging my feet uh we've got got some great twitter followers i don't want to uh, leave in the lurch yeah speaking um, of dragging feet have you guys have you guys ever pulled your hamstrings before have you ever no. pulled your hamstrings eric you already limp but have you ever pulled your hamstring nah nah I, I have recently and it's very painful and I've been dragging my feet everywhere. It's terrible. Ouch. All those, all those years of giving Eric shit because he, he limps around, which I really don't do, but let's pretend I did. Uh, they've all come back to haunt me now. Cause I pulled my, pulled my hands. Yeah. I told you, you keep driving through these like public parks and trying to join pickup games for <laughs> basketball with strangers. You're going <laughs> to hurt yourself, Steve. And it finally happened. <laughs> I was thinking he was trying to leg out a triple that when it was a double or something like that. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine playing competitive sports right now. It's been so long. That would be embarrassing for everybody involved. Um, <laughs> have you guys seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen Romstein always putting out good videos? The friends of the show. Have you seen this video that came out for the, the song Adieu? Uh, I haven't. I've been watching the Indy Five Dial of Destiny trailer. I think on repeat, and uh, I, I can. It just. It, I. It's a blind spot for me right now. But yes, I agree. Romstein always brings out the A game. I'm sure it's just as of a classic music video as Minute Works Down Under. Uh, do you? Uh, gonna... I did. <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric, you all. No. <laughs> I barely know her. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite the video quite the video romstein put out the uh, probably the last video from their most recent record will it be their last one who knows but the song Adieu, and it's a whopper of a video they always make amazing videos and this one's no exception and it kind of uh harkens back to the deutschland video and a few other videos including uh uh Ickwil from uh Mutter. 
And it's just, it's amazing. It's got something to say. Don't you think Eric, there's a message in there of some sort. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the first half of the video, they're like going into like, it's a heist into the vaults where they're like basically killing clones of their older selves. Like their younger, sorry, their younger selves, their Muter era selves. Like it's kind of like closing the door on the past is, is, is what I got out of it. And, uh, it's epic and, and, and raucous. And, uh, I love 60 year old men, uh, just so spry and <laughs> like they're in a fucking, um, Luke Besson movie and, uh, 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 <laughs> uh crispy, uh, smoking a cigarette is great. It's great. Yeah. Now for the most part, most of them aren't pulling their hamstrings. They're still can pull it off. So it's a good video. I do Mark. You should watch it. But uh, so that leads us into our other segment from every episode, which is plug like a hole. And if I heard correctly, uh, you guys are plugging the men at work video for uh, <laughs> what? Which song? Down it's under. The, I, Down okay, under. so it's not it's, it's not the I'm trying to get to sleep song, which I love. It's the other song. Oh, oh yeah, which all, one? Who can it be now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, they're all good. They're all good. They're all good. Uh, Colin, Colin Hay, uh, great uh, comedic genius that that uh, you know never never found you know never broke past the pop songwriting, but but uh, they're great videos. All of them. All of them. For sure. Um, but I do have a plug though. I mean, it's a book. Oh, oh, good. No, this is exciting. Usually we had a like pulling teeth trying to get something out of Mark. We know he enjoys things, and he's going to tell us about it. What are you enjoying, Mark? Um, recently, uh, I, I am a Tim Heidecker fan and, um, I do listen to office hours, his podcast and this last, I don't know when this is going to come out, but, uh, recently, let's just say that, uh, him and the comedian, Tom Sharpling, uh, switched podcast shows, the best show. And, uh, so Tim went over to best show, Tom went over to office hours and I, I, I've heard of Tom Sharpling before and. I may even have talked a little bit about him on the last episode, uh, but I decided to um, uh, rent or borrow from my local library using the Hoopla app. Uh, it never ends. His book that came out last year in 2021, it is a short book. It's like 125 pages or so. You could probably get it done in an afternoon if that's you're a voracious reader. But it, it uh, it's not like sign language, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's like little bits and things like that. It is, you know, whenever I read memoirs or, um, you know, autobiographies, this is definitely a coming of age story and uh, his struggles with his own mental health, uh, where even he had to uh, undergo electro uh, shock therapy when he was a teenager. Uh, it's a, it's a really funny and uh, uh, story, not so much that, but like it does have a lot of heart. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just a really interesting character. And I, I, I really am a big fan of Tom Sharpling now. Uh, he, he reminds me a lot of when he was in high school uh, without the ECT uh, of me and Steve's like, you know, our friendship and our, that gang of weirdos that we used to hang out with. Uh, I feel like Tom would be one of those gang of weirdos. Um, so yeah, it never ends. Tom Sharpling, pick it up at your local library or buy it for like three bucks on off, off Amazon. It's good. I guess for me, the stuff I learned was that I saw the magnitude of my abusive brain 
I finally looked at it. It was like putting my own self under a microscope every day writing the book. So there's certain things you just see that you do. And it's like, man, I should have been a lot nicer to this person, his life, that person being me talking about me. Yeah. And it's just like that is a part of it. But I did come away from it saying it's like, you know, look, I I know I've tried. I know I've I know I tried. That's that's like that's kind of it. It's like I, I look at what my life has been. It's like I really did the best I could in all of these moments. And there's no real spot where I'm like, yeah, I really should have done that completely differently. I just kind of got, you get dealt certain cards earlier in life and then it's what you do with them. Yeah, we're we're Steven Universe fans over here, and Tom Sharpling is uh, Mr. Universe, Steven's dad, and a great character. Great character. I didn't realize that. I've watched a little Steven Universe and played some video games that have those characters in them with the boy. I'll have to go look for that because Tom Sharpling has a very distinctive voice. I love... Yeah, I, I've listened to the best show quite a bit. Not a uh, avid listener, but when I do, I'm like, I should listen to this more. Always enjoyed it. And I just love his delivery. The way he just talks... Uh, he has a, a cadence that's, uh, I, uh, I don't know what it is about the, the way he speaks that I just enjoy. Um, and yeah, he's got great taste in music. He likes comic books. He has Dave Lindor from Monster Magnet on the show sometimes. He's a, a friend, friend, a friend of mine, a hero of mine. Um, I've always liked Tom Sharpling and I, I, I'm glad to hear you read that book. I should, I should give it a shot. He's a, he's a, a unique talent. I like him. Yeah, he tried out for the new monkeys <laughs> and there's a story behind that. And uh, this is right after he got out of uh, being committed in the hospital by his parents because, you know, uh, he was definitely dealing with a lot of uh, mental health problems. I'll just say that. So, well, I think he used to, didn't he used to write for the show Monk? Yeah, that's right. In another show that I've never really watched, but I always heard that that was like, pretty groundbreaking show what is on the usa network and so yeah i i didn't watch monk but tony shalhoub uh, apparently is a good dude good actor um but yeah never watched that one and it's all about someone who dealing with uc ocd right yeah yeah no i'm sure i i, I imagine he probably i'm assuming brought some of his challenges to that show when i vibe i i watched a few episodes i liked from what i watched i, I always liked tony shalhoub um he literally yeah. is a friend of the, the family. My mom knows his sister. So there you go. Wow. Um, wow. What are you saying, Eric? I was going to say the USA Networks. There wasn't their their catchphrase. We've got characters, wasn't there? <laughs> That's right. Uh, suits <laughs> and like. I remember Steve back then. He was like, "Who watches this shit? Who watches USA shows?" And his brother apparently really loves USA shows. <laughs> yeah, like, like burn, burn notice. Burn, burn notice. <laughs> Jag is Jag one of them? <laughs> I think that might have been in syndication after maybe yeah. NBC dropped them, but yeah, maybe. Uh Burn Notice had Bruce Campbell on it, so it couldn't be that bad. Um Eric, what do you what do you what are you plugging away at? I don't know. We might we might have an overlap, Steve. I mean maybe not, but uh Nope started streaming uh this week and um it my son, I'm in a great spot with my 14-year-old son right now. Now, unlike my friends here, I've got a teenage son, um, which puts me in this unique position where he's really interested in music and movies. I get to show, show, him, show him some some stuff, and he 
sometimes is interested, sometimes not, but he really is into like the Jordan Peele movies. And uh, we started with Nope because that was just streaming. I was like, dude, I gotta watch this. If we're hanging out, you're watching it with me. Um, we watched it, then we went back and, and, and went, went, went to get out, and then us, and he loved all of them. And uh, there, there's something just so great about his movies that like, yeah, there's a social message to him, but they're funny and they have that like morality story where you know, like it's something kind of predictable about the character arcs in them, but then there's all sorts of weird shit that's not predictable. And uh, it's just great to see uh, my son like really, really take a shining to, to those movies. And uh, you know, from the first one, whether it, you know, that one's more about like, you know, racism and, uh, and gentrification. And then to like us, which is more about like the have and the have nots and like how different a little privilege can send somebody's life. That one also stars front of the show, Tim Heidecker. And then, uh, the Nope, which was just like out of left field alien invasion movie. Um, that was really about like trying to control nature and, uh, Loved them all, and I, I love that there's like like a theme, like, um, and even like Lennox was watching him was like, you know, like what he's trying to say with each of these movies. It's it's it's, it's fun. So I, 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 he doesn't need like anybody waving a banner for him because he's you know obviously one of the biggest filmmakers out there right now. I'm just saying it was really fun to explore those with my kid. So uh, it's, it's funny you say that. I wasn't going to bring up Nope tonight, but I did watch it, and I to Nope I say yep. Um, and also I was gonna just say yeah but with Nope like I don't you know I loved it I did and I, I just in my mind it kept being like oh, you know this one didn't have a big social message but you know you're right between the monkey and the horse and the other thing it definitely is about trying to control nature that's right, right, right there right. it's simple yeah, yeah you're right totally um, I loved it and what I like about Jordan Peele is that yeah he, he makes pretty scary movies but they also have humor, and they also look great. Uh, whoever his cinematographer is or they are, they're awesome. And you know, he makes original content. They're you know, they're not. That's one place I guess you can go for stuff that's not just a, a already existing IP these days is horror films. And he also his his horror films are not heavy horror films. Like if you don't like horror movies, you can still get into them. Um, more terror too sometimes I guess I, I like Nope I liked all the actors in it I love seeing Michael Wincott and something uh, top dollar from The Crow and um, I like that lady that's in it she hosted SNL last night uh, it's a great actress it seems uh, what's her name god damn it was she on that show uh, that got a lot of ink spilled on HBO I can't remember the name of it god damn it now we're all no. I know Kike Palmer, that's her name. Yeah, Kike Palmer. Um, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, Nope was good. I, I like. He's three for three. That Jordan Peele. Yep. Have you watched it, uh, Mark? I haven't watched I Nope. Already? Yeah, no, I uh, I haven't. I uh, honestly, I think it was earlier this week when I realized it was on uh, streaming service. I think it's on Paramount Plus or something, or is it on Peacock? One of the two. Peacock. Yeah. Peacock. Peacock. Yeah. yeah. Um, but his his stuff is great. I I never was a big Key and Peel fan. Not to say that I uh, don't like the stuff. Um, I just never watched it. And anytime that I see anything uh, from Key and Peel, in terms of my introduction to Jordan Peel, um, 
was obviously fantastic. It was funny as shit. And, you know, I do feel like I owe it to them to blaze through that show. But his work, you know, um, as you say, he's very uh, suspenseful. Reminds me of like a very Alfred Hitchcock. And you're right. His movies look great. Um, I mean, I really liked Get Out quite a bit. Us was also really fun. Um, and so, yeah, I look forward to watching Nope. Um, I even liked, I know that he didn't direct it, but their, uh, film Keanu the, with, with, uh, Key oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. was a really fun time. I mean, I think oh, yeah. that like helped Michael, George Michael, um, his catalog <laughs> all of a sudden get like celebrated. You started seeing careless whisper, uh, and walk up songs and sporting events. So yeah, uh, good stuff. Nope. I'll definitely have to, um, Put that right on my radar as soon as I finish watching every fucking season of the challenge. <laughs> Which I'm almost done with that. So yeah, that's what's consuming my time in terms of what I'm watching. I know. Uh, yeah. Speaking of, Peacock, speaking of Peacock, and then I'm and then I'm done with my plugs. It's it's the holiday season. If you celebrate, hell yeah. If you like a Christmas themed TV show, I am the biggest supporter of mcgruber you'll ever see i love the movie the mcgruber tv show is a christmas show and it's so fucking funny i peed my pants oh shit it. all right i got it i've already had to i should watch it period i mean like i like uh was it not will arnett What's will forte will, will, will forte, forte. forte. Yeah. Will forte Kristen rig ryan felipe and larry fishburn it's great ah good no i'll, I'll watch that um yeah, no, and Key and Peele, you could do it in a weekend, Mark. I, I thought I, I loved it when it was out, and whenever I revisit it, I, th- I find it hilarious to this day. I, I was actually telling coworkers about Nope. I was like, "Yeah, watch this movie; it's great." And I was talking to one of my coworkers, and a little bit younger than me, and I'm like, "Yeah, you should watch the movie Nope. It's good stuff." Uh, Jordan Peele, and she just said, "Like, yeah, didn't he make that movie about the black guy and the white girl?" <laughs> and I was just all. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. And I changed the subject. So I'm like, I don't know where this is going. I'm not going down wherever this is going to go. And so that way we got back to work talk. Um, anyhow. Yeah. So my, my plugs and yes, it is, it is the holiday season. Uh, I I've listened, speaking to George Michael, uh, last Christmas, I've probably listened to it 10 times already in the last three days. So, uh, you that's, just, that's the kind of things I subject my family to. Uh, my my plugs. Uh, first, I want to plug again, uh, ko-fi.com slash pod like a hole. That's ko-fi, ko-fi.com forward slash pod like a hole. Would you like to donate a few dollars to us and your Patreon subscription is something that you don't want to commit to? I don't blame you. I can hardly commit to Patreon myself for the podcast that I enjoy. Ko-Fi is the answer. If you want to give to Pod Like a Hole, you go to ko-fi.com forward slash pod like a hole. You could donate a dollar now. You could donate ten dollars now. You could donate five, four ninety-nine. Any any amount you choose, one time. Maybe come back later when we do an episode you really like. Donate again. It is a donation service for the work we give you that is not a subscription. Ko-Fi dot com forward slash pod like a hole. The other plugs I have from the entertainment that I've been enjoying lately is uh, my wife and I 
we had a date night this week. And as you guys know, I like Christmas and she knows I like Christmas as well. Both of us like David Harbour. So we went and saw the new Santa movie, Violent Night. Violent Night, basically die hard with Santa. I give it three stars. You guys have, uh, you've seen the, the, the commercials for the Violent Night? No, but are we talking three out of five, three out of four? What do we, what do we, what's your, what's your scale on this one? It's always five. Three so I feel like five right, is the right. five. It is okay. Well, all right, all right, all right. Uh, no, now, I okay, like David Harbor quite a bit. If it's three out of five, then it's three point five out of five. Then okay. All right, all right. Let's just level set. But no, I haven't seen any marketing material for it until you showed me a poster of it. Yeah, Living a rock, Harbor, man. It's it's got it's David. It's basically Die Hard with Santa, but it also has the Christmas spirit stuff in it. It is a rated R. It's uh, violent, very violent. It's it's like you know, it's also like Home Alone, but violence. And uh, other cast members are John Leguizamo, who I always and I like it when he shows up and stuff. He's the bad guy. And then uh, Edie Edie Patterson from the the Righteous Gemstones. She's in it as well, basically playing her character from uh, the Righteous Gemstones, but. Thought it was pretty funny. I would say if you have a date night coming up and you want to see a movie, eh, that might work for you. But you can wait until it comes home. Uh, I, I don't even know what people go to the theaters for anymore. So it was enjoyable, though. And uh, the, the other thing I watched this weekend, Mark reminded me of it, uh, that the, the Dio Dreamers Never Die documentary. It's on Showtime now. And if you have Showtime, you can watch it. And I watched it, and I like a good rock documentary. I love Dio. They cover a lot of the stuff we talked about in this very podcast, but has a lot of good clips of interviews of him and then current interviews with pretty much everyone in his orbit. And it reminds the viewer that he was a very unique and a unique force and a very caring and giving guy to the very end. But also, uh, he was a very short little man that did everything on his terms and was pretty awesome. Had a great voice, and it's uh, it's worth a watch. Uh, Mark, I think you said you were going to watch it. You, you should uh, do that. As should you. Yeah, Eric. yeah. It's no, fun. I will. I will. I mean, honestly, I love myself some rock documentaries, even if I don't have such a great allegiance to the band or to the artist. Those usually are what converts me. I don't have access to our email account, but I assume they reached out to us for this. And, um, <laughs> and we just were really busy <laughs> and uh, couldn't, couldn't be on it. But uh, yeah. I mean, if great. anything, like Steven alone, he should have been at least one of the talking heads, you know? Well, they, 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 already had Jack, they already had Jack Black on there, so I don't know why they need me. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was entertaining. All right, that's all of the plugs for tonight. So we're going to talk about a album called Kid A by Radiohead. What year did this come out in, Mark? This came out in the year 2000. Y2K, the, uh, not only were we um, fearing that the computers were going to take over and bring down the world, uh, we were fearing if Kid A, or excuse me, if Radiohead were going to actually continue the trajectory they had started with the massive success of OK Computer. 
So we're going to do a little history in five minutes. Um, this is the challenge. So to get to what we're going to be talking about today, um, here's the skinny on Radiohead in terms of uh, where this fit into the discography. So very briefly, uh, Radiohead was formed in 1985. When I read that, I couldn't believe it that they were around for that long, but it makes sense. Not every band just automatically uh, gets a record label, so they had to pay their dues. Uh, they were all attending the same school, and the thing about Radiohead, very similar to Rammstein and some of the acts that we've talked about, this band has remained intact throughout their entire recording career. Um, I appreciate that. I feel um, not all bands can really uh, organize themselves that way. And there was some times where it was pretty dicey whether this band was going to continue. So 1985, they formed what they were all going to high school. They uh, named themselves on a Friday, which is a terrible name. But uh, thankfully, by the time they were signed to EMI, EMI said, well, change the name. They changed the name to Radiohead, which came from the song Radiohead by Talking Heads off of their album True Stories. Uh, Tom York basically said, Radiohead, you get all this information coming in, and I feel that this is a good way to um, describe what this band is all about. So the first record was Creep, or excuse me, Pablo Honey, which was their uh, big, massive single off of that song, uh, off of that record was Creep. It was uh, played all throughout 120 minutes, Alternative Nation, and at uh, that Patrice O'Neill, I think, uh, said it best. Uh, I mean, white guys I a, love the I chunk, hate, that I chunky guitar. A, I hate to be a stereotype, but that fucking song is great. That oh, it's great. So good. It's good. I, it, I have actually yeah. a lot of a lot of love for that first album and and the Benz. I, I I like me some Britpop, and um, and it's it's it, they both. They both work for me. I, I, I like those tracks. I, I, I mean, those albums. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. Uh, pa- Pablo Honey. Uh, so they actually did have an EP debut called Drill. Uh, but uh, we're just going to talk about the studio records here. But Creep was the thing that really kind of put them on everyone's radar. Uh, they were not necessarily seen as a band that was going to be hitting this trajectory. Almost like in Also Ran, um, in the age of where... Uh, Oasis and Blur were the two like big British bands coming out around this time. Uh, Radiohead were kind of seen as maybe like, uh, and not harken on Supergrass, but they never had like the giant journalist following as it was between Blur and Oasis back then. They were, they were, yeah, yeah they, they were they, like they, uh, B tier, B tier. Yeah, they were, yeah, and, until they would become something that was bigger than those two bands combined later. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, yeah, no, I don't. Pablo Honey, I barely could name any other songs off it, but come on, Creep. At the time when it first came out, when it would come on the radio, I was like, oh my God, here's that great song again. And to this day, and I've referenced that uh, Patricia Neal skit <laughs> or, or radio yeah. segment you can find online about how. What Creep I did watch does, that you know, too, and it's funny as shit too. Yeah. Yeah, the, you know, Creep just strikes a chord and uh, people as banal as us. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> That's a great hey, goddamn song. I in the writers' room, I sent you guys a link to a song called "Faithless," the Wonder Kid or Wonder Boy. Uh, 
that B-side is also just an absolute banger for that era of Radiohead where it's guitar driven, kind of grungy Britpop. Uh, you can't take the needle out. It's, it's, it's a great song. I, I love that track. It seems that the band itself is just hates this record. Um, they really distanced themselves from even playing creep um, uh, very often live um, it, it's hard pressed to actually find any of these songs found in any of their live rotation. Well, after, um, after, after Prince covers it better than you can ever do. What's the point? Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> um, so after uh, Pablo honey came out, they did really uh, try to aggressively tour with bands in the States because uh, EMI was having a really hard time of promoting them um, in the States in the sense of, of course, creep was big on the alternative scene. They were not a household name. So that's when the Benz comes around it. And so actually, honestly, the Benz is where I started to hear more of Radiohead every morning before going up into getting ready for school. I'd watch VH1 or MTV and the video for high and dry was starting to be in regular rotation. Um, and it became a little bit of a modest hit. It also had the songs Fake Plastic Trees, Just, and Street Spirit. And this is really where you start to see Radiohead distancing themselves from the rest of their peers. This is like 1994, 1995. And so you get very high concept music videos that go along with their songs to really kind of bring home what this band is capable of creatively. Um, so they're not just like a Pixies also ran, even though like on that first Pablo Honey, you can hear, you know, some shoegaze, you can hear Pixies type, uh, you know, the quiet and loud. But I feel the Benz is where uh, they were really becoming a bit more confident and mature in their songwriting style. Uh, they got the interest of uh, Michael Stipe, who became almost like a mentor for Tom York in the early days. Um, and it's funny I, you say that some of those videos could yeah. be REM videos, right? Um, like think of the video for Street Spirit could definitely be an REM video. From that yeah, it kind of reminds me of this their uh, REM's video for Drive, black and white. And uh, so before I uh, get too ahead of myself, I forgot to get name the players in this band. We got Tom York on vocals. We got. Colin O'Brien on, uh, excuse me, Colin Greenwood on bass, Ed O'Brien on guitar, Philip Selway on drums, and Colin's bro younger brother, Johnny Greenwood, who is also the lead guitarist, and he has made a, quite a name for himself on being a composer for, for, for film. Um, but yeah, the Benz strong record i think that uh it's just an achievement of how it distances itself from even the the sound of pablo honey you really start to see the formation and some of the b-sides around this time because uh, i that talk show host i think came around this time it was featured on the romeo and juliet soundtrack which is an excellent b-side yeah, yeah. this band's b-sides are strong some yeah they're great oh yeah no they're one of their best songs is the uh was a B-sides until what might be their last album. Um, that true love waits. Yep. Yep. So 1995, 1990, uh, rolls around and we get their massive work, which 
I personally feel is their best record. Um, it basically shook the foundation of alternative music, and that was with OK Computer. And the guy who really got me into OK Computer, and I didn't really get it at the time, was my co-host on the show, uh, Stephen. He fucking played the shit out of this record when it came out. And yeah, it's all about that, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, while we were listening to it, we knew that it was an important work. And whether or not we liked it, we had to understand it. This is how I approached OK Computer. And now it's I, I deeply love this record. We could have talked about this, but I feel like OK Computer has been dissected and talked about to death. Um, and it had such great songs as Paranoid Android, which was an excellent animated video. Um, Karma Police, No Surprises. It has one of my favorite songs of all time by Radiohead on here called Lucky. Drives me to tears. I don't know what it is. Maybe it, like the um, show Six Feet Under. I think that show, uh, this song featured prominently in the penultimate uh, final episode in the final season. Um, and if you really want to see a band like not knowing how to deal with all of the attention being thrown at them from all of the fans that were starting to come out. I mean, you had like, during the making of Fight Club, I remember um, we had like, they all they, Edward Norton and Brad Pitt, all they wanted to do was talk about Radiohead um, behind the scenes. And they would show up to their shows. So having all of that attention on you and you want to see a band like almost fall apart and get burned out about all the pressure being put upon them watch the documentary meeting people is easy uh it's a surprise that they didn't implode um during this time yeah that record that, that record was uh i i it was like trying it, it, after everything we've listened to since uh, 25 years later it's doesn't sound as challenging but the fresh years at the time to a teenager i I thought the songs were great, but I also thought like, oh, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on here. And there was probably teenagers across the world feeling the same way. It's a different kind of challenge than what Kid A would have been. But it's still, I mean, that album, OK Computers, uh, usually it's their best album, if you ask most people. And uh, well, just beloved. It still has some challenging and weird songs on it. It is not a straightforward record at all. And, uh, I mean, just the uh, the first single, um, "Paranoid Android." Uh, that song is bizarre. That it, it's got that that segment towards the end, the the, the rain down on me bit. Yeah. So what, what are you doing putting that in a song that got in the radio? They were they were awesome. They they just what a cool cool record. The first track uh, was that airbag or no? Uh, yeah, airbag. No. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah, it was just, airbag. Yeah, yeah, air, airbag. Get out of town with that track. I love that song, man. That's yeah, a good record. Just what are you saying? Couldn't, Eric? Agree, couldn't agree more. I, I agree with Mark. It's probably their best album. Um, I, I'm I am a Benz boy. I love I love the uh, fun guitar Britpop atmosphere of of the Benz where they were ex- experimenting. But then this one, they bring in the production. And I think from like a '90s kid who loved Downward Spiral and stuff like that, you have this Britpop band that's now like not afraid to like fuck with some like really interesting atmosphere and and production like uh, 
they weren't really borrowing from techno yet. That would come with Kid A. We'll talk about that. But as far as like how you can bring that kind of stuff in to a production and 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 make this kind of piece of work that stands alone and it's not just a band anymore. It's this whole production thing. Uh, holy crap. Okay, computer, so freaking good. Um, yeah, I love it. You know, the Benz, though, as a 15-year-old listening to the Benz, um, or 14, um, I mean, I remember very specifically listening to that album on my Discman and just thinking about like how good the songs were. And just the songwriting on the Benz, like those are really good melodic songs that have a bite to them. Uh, the ben, the Benz, if, if I pound for pound, and I guess we'll do our rankings later, just like pure good song. Like, I think that's the densest one that just has beautiful songs in it. Uh, the Benz. And then OK Computer has some beautiful songs, but also enough weird ideas to where it's, it's, uh, it's balanced very well in that way. It's weird, but it also sounds just as pretty uh, kind of as the Benz. Just good stuff. They were. Oh, yeah. They were very unique in the late 90s. So when 1998 to 2001 uh, roll around, that's considered the Kid A amnesiac. Uh, so Kid A comes out in 2000. They um, are hitting the rec- record studio or the recording studio with Nigel Godrich, um, a, a man who definitely is helping um, them steer their new sound into a new direction. Nigel Godrich also uh, produced, you know, OK Computer as well. But with all that pressure and um, Tom York was definitely suffering from writer's block to the point where they didn't really know where they wanted to take the direction of the band. Um, you can read about the recording of Kid A it, uh, where they had to isolate from using a lot of more digital versus analog instruments kind of secluding the uh, members um, between each other so that the way they were working on something uh, in parallel um, and then kind of bringing it back together because Tom York wanted to throw all the guitars into the trash, into the dustbin, as they would say, over in the uh, across the pond. Um, he was more fascinated with electronic beats, strings, jazz horns, just different type of instrumentation. It did not want to be just a guitar-like fronted rock band anymore. He was listening um, to a lot of selected ambient works by Aphex Twin and like yep. the, the kind of nineties. Boards of Canada and um, uh, IDM. Who else? Intelligent, yes, intelligent, intelligent dance music. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you basically uh, you know mute the the mute label. Um, yeah, that you, you could square pusher, autexture. You could hear it. Yeah. Uh, one thing I think is interesting about the making of this, and that's all I got to say about it, is like the other members of the band, uh, you know, your your drummers, bassist, guitarist, like they were like, oh, f- fuck, if we're going to be on this album, we've got to do something. So it kind of pushed them to like pull out some pedals and pull out a sampler and pull out like this drum machine and like and, and, and do some like their like that was their contribution is like finding out like, oh, if I'm going to be on this. That's where Tom is right now. I got to be there. Um, and uh, and that's where you get some of the interesting uh, backing tracks uh, on this album. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, that, if that's true, I mean, that basically mutated Johnny Greenwood into a genius because that guy was their guitar player. The guitar is barely on that record yet that we're going to talk about tonight. 
yeah, he can kind of do anything he wants. It seems like yeah. when it comes to manipulating sound, he's a pedal boy, absolutely a pedal boy now. And so with, you know, Kid A, uh, definitely is a departure point for Radiohead, which was very polarizing for those who loved the uh, the beautiful sounds and songwriting of the Benz and OK Computer trying to make a futuristic uh, uh, perspective on the Benz. But this takes it to, you know, Planet Mercury or something. This is something completely different. And so... Pitchfork Media fell out of their chair. They gave it a 10 out of 10. Um, they gave it a perfect score because this is exactly like meat for that <laughs> Pitchfork, you know, when I'm it, at that it, time. I think, like, I think like Pitchfork discovered what they wanted to think was great with this album. They're like, oh, yeah, this is what, finally, this is the kind of stuff we want to talk about 20-something years ago. Yeah. Um, Pitchfork probably owns uh, owes their existence, continued existence, to uh, early or that mid mid era Radiohead and fawning over it and everybody else fawns over it. I mean, I, the rest of the review when this first came out, uh, I mean, it, we liked it and our people we were people we knew liked it, uh, but most well known reviewers, uh, magazines and such didn't seem to care for it much. A lot of them thought it was too pretentious and weird for the sake of weird. Um, Time has been very kind to it, and it—I I mean, it was liked well. Enough. I, I even think by the end of that year, it was on best of lists, and people were figuring out it's a good record. Um, but over the years, it's become some would say it's their masterpiece. I don't agree, but definitely there are those people out there. And I mean, there's a whole book like Stephen Hyden uh, from Rolling Stone wrote a whole book on it, which I have not read it, but I plan to. Um, what's that book called? It's a uh, this isn't oh, happening. Shit. Something Kid like A's that. Yeah. Book. <laughs> yeah Kid A, I think it's called This Isn't Happening, Kid A the Book, uh, where he writes about the making of that record. And uh, yeah, Kid A definitely ended up becoming a very unique historical album that we're going to talk about tonight. As, a, as yeah. a couple of guys that worked at record stores in, in, in the year 2000, this was always on the shuffle disc. Like it was, it was it, it, a day wouldn't go by without a track from this playing. It was for it was sure. It was definitely a, a game changer record. What'd you guys think when it first came out? What I liked it. it. I liked it. Um, I was on board for the change. I was also getting into Aphex twin at that same time. So I was just slid right into it. Um, I had no problem with it. Uh, by that time, my musical uh, palette, I guess you'd say, was getting a little bit more sophisticated for me to take this in versus when I first heard OK Computer. Um, so, yeah, I liked it. I didn't love it better than OK Computer. Um, that will always be the classic. But this one, I knew that it was going to be a departure point and I enjoyed what I was hearing. Uh, I don't think it's... So here's the thing. So... And this actually ties me into the next thing, and we can go back to what you guys thought of it when you first heard about it. But 1999, The Fragile comes out. It's a two-disc thing, and it doesn't really do a whole lot of numbers. Trent Reznor even said, maybe I should have done what Radiohead did and split the two up into like a left and a right, and then set, you know did that at a separate time. And so when Amnesiac came out the following year in um, 2001, I actually do think Amnesiac does have a stronger set of songs, but I think that Amnesiac couldn't exist 
without Kid A, and that's why I think I I I put Kid A a little bit better, but I do think Amnesiac has a better collection of songs. It's more consistent, um, and I don't think of it. And maybe at the time I was like, "Oh, Amnesiac, that's just the B sides from what they didn't want to include on Kid A," but it seriously stands on its own. Um, but yeah, what do you think about um, when you first heard Kid A slash Amnesiac? Maybe Eric. Yeah, I mean, pretty much what you said. Um, I thought Kid A sounded great. Uh, it was tying into a lot of stuff I was also enjoying in electronic music. I already liked uh, Radiohead. Um, and then Amnesiac, uh, a few months later, actually had some like rockers on it, So, it, which I appreciated, but I think I appreciated them more because they had to do Kid A, like you said. They had to like get through the iceberg and break out of it to get to the, 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 those, those, those bangers, um, on, on amnesiac. Um, and, but they're all kind of cut from the same cloth. A lot of the same sound samples, a lot of the same, uh, it's, it's part of the same world. Uh, what a fun time to be a Radiohead fan when you had those two albums and within a year, eight months of, of each other. Yeah, it's funny about that. Is at the time it's not, like it felt like the eight months was forever. Now eight months is nothing. Um, yeah, I liked it, and I remember listening to it quite a bit. I think I lived at a apartment in Rockland then. Um, and we'll talk about the, we're going to talk about Kid A now. I think, and we'll talk about our opinions of all the albums in brief after we're done here. But I do think that Kid A is held to higher uh, higher regard, yeah, because it was first. I think if you if if Amnesiac would have came first, Amnesiac's the one that gets all the praise. Um, I also think that what they should have done is release them both at the same time, like the uh, the Sage Wizard Axl Rose did with the Use Your Illusion albums, and it still would have been held or the same Outcast time. or Outcast. No, I, I think that the, then Amnesiac would still, I mean, nobody scoffs at Amnesiac, but Kid A is definitely the darling of the two. And like Mark alluded to, spoiler alert, Amnesiac's a stronger record, in my opinion. But let's talk about, let's talk about Kid A, because that's why we're here. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, we can get back after we talk about Kid A, we'll talk about just what the rest of their career looked like, but I think we should just do the track by track. Um, so with Kid A, it starts out with a song called Everything in Its Right Place.
That was a little bit of everything in its right place. This song for me uh, is an excellent opener. It has just this um, glitchy feel to it. I also am always reminded of the opening of the film Vanilla Sky. Um, I think this is how that film opens up with this song playing as Tom Cruise is like getting ready for his day or something like that. Um, but everything in its right place. I, it's a very comforting song for me, even though it sounds pretty dystopian. I don't know. It's a good like Sunday morning hangover song where you're feeling a little vulnerable from the night before. Um, yesterday I woke up sucking a lemon. Um, that is pretty much one of the verses. And, um, you know, this album in particular, when it comes to the lyrical content, you know, uh, we're not getting as spacious as what we got on OK Computer. I mean, a lot of times it's just phrases being repeated. Uh, and I think in some cases, I think in the next track in particular, he may have been doing this on a lot of tracks, was he would th- just write down random phrases, throw them in a hat and pick them out, and he would be like, all right, all right, all right. And- he was saying, he said that he, uh, it's interesting. He said he was influenced by Remain in Light quite a bit in this record, and I don't hear Remain in Light. Yeah. But Remain in Light had Adrian Blue, who played with David Bowie from the Low era, and I definitely hear some David Bowie cut-up techniques to the lyrics on this uh, on this album. That's I mean, you guys agree? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, but I think I can still you know, understand of what he's trying to say. in a lot of these songs, it's not just like gobbledygook and, you know, phrases that just sound poetic. Um, you know, one thing about Tom York is that he likes to fill spaces uh, more so on some of the other tracks down the road here. Um, but we have an artist that we haven't really talked about of who does a lot of vocalizations, a lot of like, you know, not actually saying anything. He's just kind of going with the melody and he wants to use his voice as an instrument more so as something he wants to say. Um, he does that throughout all of Radiohead. And um, this one, I feel like it's a very gentle opener, but you can see that with all the glitchy vocals that are happening, you can see that this is going to be a very different Radiohead record. I don't even think there's any guitar on here at all on this track. Eric, what do you think about everything in its right place? Oh, I really do like this song. It 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 sets the, it sets the palette. It like the the synth work is is very much like icy Oregon uh, that that will come up over and over again on this record. Um, <laughs> your Vanilla Sky reference is spot on. I I remember it like him and Jason Lee driving in a uh, uh, Tom Cruise, of course, is who I mean by him. And Jason Lee driving in a car, enjoying uh, uh, this record. Uh, it was very much all over that album or that movie. Um, offbeat drums. Um, 
And see, here's the thing about Tom singing. He's he's an incredible vocalist. He can hit any note in the world. When I like him, it's when he locks into the music and it drives a song. And as we get into his discography later, at some point, the band does one thing, Tom does another thing, and it doesn't always lock in together. And that's a, that's a problem. Fortunately, on Kid A, that never happens. They it's 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 simpatico. Um, and, and this opener, you're right. It's a hangover song. It's soft. It's like Sunday morning from velvet underground. It just feels right. Um, it's perfect. Uh, there's some cool eighties synth rips throughout the whole song, but for the most part, it doesn't get too edgy. And, um, it's, uh, it's a little song. It's like a double meaning about, you know, how they feel with fame. They're everything's in its right place. They're being positioned on shows and MTV and radio and everything, but also how they created the album, which was very meticulous, everything in its right place. Uh, love a double meaning. Uh, this song just, just feels great. Love the glitched out lyrics. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny you guys say about Sunday morning. I actually think the way this song kind of creeps in, it's actually a good, like getting up and drinking your coffee and getting in your car to go to work song in a way, um, like easing into your day, you know, uh, with those, those, uh, keys that are kind of like that soft sounding doom, 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 doom. Uh, those, those, I like the, the sound of those keyboards and, you know, the way, the way Tom York kind of, he, he sweetly is kind of singing to you, uh, his nonsense lyrics about everything being in its right place. And there's, there's two colors in his head. Um, yeah, it's a good song. I, it's a good opener. It definitely sets the, the table for this era of Radiohead. And I would cover that through the next two albums or yeah, this album, the next one. I mean, it's got an iciness to it. There's a bit of glitchiness to it. There's some gibberish kind of, you know, Eric, you do say everything in this right place. And I, I agree. I think that these albums were meticulously made, but there's a little bit of a random chance to some of the, the sound of some of them. Um, and I guess that would be the glitchiness and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good opener and I, I love the title. I think everything in its right place is a total Radiohead title of a song. This album has a lot of so- sounds that are hard to describe in discussion. And this song is another one though, that has many little bloops and bleeps and just like sounds like, you know, aircraft doors opening and stuff that I, I enjoy. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, um, seeing them do this one live where, uh, Johnny Greenwood is over there just fucking around with either this wall of things that he's plugging wires into. And I think it's when I looked it up, they manipulate Tom York's vocals with something called the chaos pads. That's um, right. And I, they would leave the stage because they generally wouldn't do this one like towards the end of their set. And you'd still hear uh, Tom's everything, you know, um, just reverberating while their band's not even there because, you know, Johnny would still be fucking around. I think Johnny was the last person on the stage when they would do that. Uh, but good stuff. I, I, I really do enjoy this. It's so fucking different. And I think it's a great album opener. Before we move on, getting back to the live thing. So let's sound off on us seeing them live. I never want to see them live again. 
Um, I haven't wanted to see them live for almost 15 years. I, we're going to get to this at the end. Uh, my love for this band, like I, I, I either love this band or I don't listen to them at all. I, I don't know how else to put it. And I saw them twice and, uh, they were good shows. I think I saw them for kid a and then amnesiac. And I know I went uh, at least one of those you guys were there for. Um, but now I couldn't imagine go, like, I just music like this. I don't want to see performed live. Now, if I go see live music now, call me an old 41 year old, like I want guitars. God damn it. And I know they, they listen, they long ago brought guitars back for lack of a better term. But like, if they said, we're going to play kid a and amnesiac back to back all the way through, I'd be like, Nope, I'm not going to go watch that. Uh, <laughs> sounds boring. Um, that's good music, but nothing I want to see perform live. Anyways, all that aside, I did enjoy the shows we saw. I think Beta Band was at uh, one of them, and I think Supergrass was the other. And I, I love yeah. both the Beta Band and Supergrass. What, what, uh, I am I right, the, you guys? Did you Supergrass go to those shows? One, the Supergrass one, I was, I was there, and I think that was the Hail to the Thief tour, not the Amnesiac tour. I could be yes, wrong. You're right. That, you you are sure. you are correct. Yes, we saw them on the Amnesiac tour. And then the Hill of the Thief tour. They didn't really tour widely for Kid A. Um, they were still dealing with, we don't want to fucking do another world tour. And then they finally, like, after Amnesiac came out that summer of 2001, uh, that's where they came to the shoreline in Mountain View, California. And that's where we saw them. And then I think we saw them again at the shoreline when they came around a couple years later for that Hill of the Thief tour. Fun stuff. Well, their 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 devotees still claim they're the the best live band in town. Um, I'm sure they're still great live. But anyways, moving on to track two, the title track. track. The title track that is Kid A. Let's hear a little bit of that. necessarily love i think that it's another kind of a place setter in trying to get the listener to understand this is not going to be something that is going to be very similar to what we've done before um it's going to challenge you but at the same time they're challenging themselves to change their sound and bring their fans along the way uh, i'm not a big fan of this song this is more of a soundscape i can't even really tell what uh, tom york is singing half the time in here uh, I said it in the writer's room, and I'm going to say it here. It sounds like, you know, that little orange 8-bit, probably pre-Nintendo, Cubert. Uh, this is what, if he came out with a solo album, this is what he would sound like. Uh, and it also sounds like an 8-bit underground cave level. You know, it's just so very... Dig Dug, Dig Dug, the song. Yeah, yeah. 
it's not it's not terrible it's not skippable but you're at four four minutes and 44 seconds you're definitely thinking how can this get uh you know pared down just a little bit more um i do kind of like the rhythm uh i think tom was more interested in rhythm than melody at this point and uh this is certainly showing that what do you think of kid a uh steven yeah yeah it's uh it's I think a lot of the reviewers that were like, ah, Radiohead, you're just trying to be too smart. I think placing Kid A as track two probably is what uh, tipped off many of those those reviews because it is pretty audacious to put this track as track two when you're doing an album that's you know you know is going to be something that people look at sideways. Um, it's also the title track, and uh, I yeah, I'm not it's not a, a offensive to the ears. Um, I think a lot of this album can be listened to in the background. And I think this is definitely one of those things. Uh, yeah. The Qbert sound that I'm just, what, what is going on there with that vocal, that vocal <laughs> line. And then, I mean, it's just, it's got, it's got some sounds of like spaceships, like, uh, you know, slowly lifting off, like an, a, a touchstone of this record. It's definitely low. David Bowie's low. And a lot of those Brian Eno touches of like weird little things you can hear in the background, you're getting that all over this album. And on this one, you're definitely getting that uh, weird spaceship sounds in the background. Um, you know, what's weird to think is that the re- the rear view between us now and this album coming out is almost the same amount of time, give or take a couple of years that this album was from when low came out. Am I making sense here? Like when this came out in 2000, Low came out in like what, 1977? Yeah. Pretty crazy mm-hmm. to think about that. <laughs> and, uh, right. Yeah. And now we're about 22 years removed from this. That is bonkers. Um, yeah, it's not my favorite track in the album. I'm sure there's some people that love it and think it's their favorite track. Uh, you know, they probably, I don't know. They just, it's got that weird little like children's toy being cranked sound and, uh, the, the drum beat is good, and you're right, Mark. A great way to put it. He was more interested in rhythm, or they were, at least on this album. I can hear it. Uh, the drum beat's pretty good. I'll give it. I'll give the. the I'll give the drum beat a, a a thumbs up on this song. Before I go to Eric, um, I remember hearing from a uh, former work colleague because I did go to a pre-listening party of Amnesiac at some theater in Hayward, California. But she said when she went to a listening party for Kid A, uh, they did it at a planetarium. And they even like did this during this part, she said, like the sun was setting. And it was just very visual. Like, could you imagine being fucking stoned out of your mind, listening to this record in a planetarium where you see like all of a sudden, like the sun setting and, you know, you got shooting stars and stuff like that. In in some circles, they feel that Kid A is actually a concept record. I've never dived into the whole theory of it all, but it being like this robotic kid, kind of like an oh, AI I've got, story. Yeah, I've, got, I've got that for you, Mark. Don't oh, worry boy. about that. So let's Don't let's 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 hear it, Eric. What do you think oh, of Kid A? Hold on, hold on. Before you go on to the, before you go on to that, Eric. Hold on. All right, all right. Um, Hayward, Mark. You went to Hayward to listen to this album? Not Kid A, but. Uh, yes, uh, Amnesiac. It was they rented out. Um, EMI had rented out a um, a theater 
uh, for folks that were in the music industry. I mean, not in the music industry. I was just, I got invited through one of our EMI reps. Um, and uh, we got on a party bus from Woodland, drove down to Berkeley. And uh, I was I was not in my right mind. And during Amnesiac, I ended up falling asleep <laughs> during the wrestling <laughs> party. <laughs> I had a few uh, to drink on that party bus. I'll tell you that. So, um, yeah, Woodland, Woodland and Hayward are two of my least favorite places. It's terrible. That's, yeah. Uh, bad news. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, all right. Well, um, there is a theory about the story of this album. Kid a is, uh, the first cloned child, uh, in the future. And, the world is dying and this is the album is from this, this child's perspective. I think that works for some tracks. I don't think it works for all the tracks. I don't know if I buy into that, but that is the theory of the con. If, if this was a concept album, that's the storyline. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not buying it. I don't, I don't think that they were messing around with concepts at this time, but all right. Yeah. But this particular track, I think, I mean, it works for the concept, um, as it goes on and what the songs are about later, I think it loses the concept pretty quick. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, this song there, uh, Tom York is particularly obsessed with Krautrock and trying to bring that into this album. Um, this is a very weird track too. That fits that just fine. Um, this in itself is not really a song in my opinion. Let's go on to the track three. So track three is what I would almost consider like the only possible single. Now, this song wasn't a single, but uh, it definitely had some catchiness to it. Uh, and that song is called The National Anthem.
So that was the song, The National Anthem. Uh, very prominently features a very, very catchy bass line. Uh, that bass line was actually written by Tom York when he was like 16. And they were always looking for ways to include that on a, on a record and possibly as a B-side, but they knew that it was strong. Um, I think the original title of that song was Everyone, um, but changed it to the National Anthem. And uh, it's one of my favorite songs by them. I feel that it is ambitious enough that freaking bass line, man, that can get stuck in my head for days. And when the horn section comes in, <laughs> yeah it's awesome it's awesome i love it um again tom's not really saying too much on this track it's everyone is so near everyone has got the fear it's holding on it's holding on and it just turns into this chaotic jazz session and i don't like jazz but you it, i i do appreciate what they're doing here um it's just very frenetic and panic-inducing, um, and I, <laughs> in some circles, when um, Kid A, uh, Chuck Klosterman interpreted, is it a prediction of the September 11th attacks? And I feel yeah. like, okay, <laughs> the whole record, um, but this, this song, I feel like I could see that, um, just how crazy we all turned, and you could hear that. It's almost like their version of like a day in the life. Um, it's a, by the Beatles, and it's so good. I, I really do enjoy this track quite a bit. Uh, Eric, what do you what do you think of the national? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Stephen. Go uh, ahead. I was just going to say, well, I'll kick it over to Eric in a second, but I do want to say that to that we we should mention to your thing about the September 11th. Uh, smarter people than me uh, have written about how this was like the first album of like the new internet age, and looking back, you can kind of see that there's a lot of weird internet stuff, uh, you know, um, promotions and file sharing and uh, just things of that nature. And just the talking about it online more than you like we're used to at that time about music. And I, I can kind of see that I can, this album definitely seemed to herald like <laughs> a new form of communication uh, for society. I, I don't know how to put it, but uh, I can definitely, I'm not, I'm not saying Klosterman's right at all here, but I can definitely see how this, this record is held up as kind of a, uh, just a shift in how humans function. It's it, that sounds very pretentious, but you guys kind of get where I'm coming at here, right? Oh yeah. Like, it's just like the turn of the century. Everything started to change. Even if we didn't know it changed yet. And this sounds like the perfect soundtrack for it. Yeah. Yeah. Eric national anthem. This song is, this song is great. Um, why does Tom sound like less kill Claypool on this song? <laughs> everyone everyone I, around here. Am I crazy? I know. Yeah, uh, uh, the baseline's great. Tom is is in his, I guess, Pink Floyd mode or whatever to make me think of Primus. But um, the sax ri- the sax rips are this, and the big horn swoops are great. And I, I like how Mark says he doesn't care for jazz. I, I imagine uh, the Untouchables, <laughs> and Mark is just kicking down a speakeasy door uh, with a Tommy gun. <laughs> I don't care for jazz. And uh, taking care of business—it's—it's uh, it's really something. I should have really one reviewer, oh, it, it described that part as a brass band marching into a brick wall, and that is fuck. <laughs> that is a perfect way to describe that. I love big that. Old, 
Big old brass. There's definitely a <laughs> big old brass. What's that song in the fragile that we like with all the the big old brass? Oh yeah, that's yeah. Uh, pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. Yeah. 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 yeah, they're 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 cousins somehow. Yeah, I I I also love this song. It's great. It's great. Absolutely great. And I think the lyrics. Yeah, once again, dealing with fame, how it feels to be famous, have everyone around you, um, and then uh, it, it there's this joke at the end where Tom is reminding himself to smile and uh, just kind of like it's all anxious, it's very very anxious, and then like just this kind of like meta joke about smile, turn the, uh, flash those pearly whites. Anyways, great song. Yeah, I love this song. Um, this song's great live. Mark, you're right. That bass line's great. Eric, you're right. The the sax is great. Neither of you mentioned the cymbals. When those cymbals start crashing, I always am oh, stoked. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's layered very well. It's got layers. Everything comes in at the right time. I actually like Tom's weird vocals on this one. I, th- I mean, it's not as weird as track two. It's still weird. The weird audio like envelope on his voice is strange, but I, I like the way it works for me in, in this song. Um. There's this, there's a sound effect of like, it sounds like a piece of a, I always refer to metal in the wind. Like when I was talking about Adam Jones, but there's, there's definitely a electronic effect that sounds almost like something that's like wobbling in the wind and trying not to fall apart uh, on this track. Um, And I do like jazz. I don't listen to jazz all the time, but when I'm in the mood for jazz, I will put some jazz on and I really like the song. It, it, yeah. This definitely, this definitely is like one of those songs that the Radiohead heads love. Like National Anthems, probably a lot of Radiohead fans' favorite songs. Placed well on the record because if they would have done another song that didn't sound like a song at all, it would have been too much. They needed, to, they needed to have something with a little bit of a pulse, and I think uh, this definitely fits the bill. Yeah. Um, I remember during the promotional cycle for Kid A, um, they didn't necessarily have music videos. I think I do recall seeing a music video for like a performance video, either of Optimistic or um, Idiot, Idiotech or Idiotic, however you want to pronounce it. I think it, I think it was Idiotech. Um, but they would do these like really short, like little bursts of like a little commercial. Um, and I would see those every now and then on MTV. And I remember for this one, it had, and especially with the horn, like it had like this goose walking around a park. And I just always equate that horn sound with the, with the goose walking around a park. So <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> I can imagine that. Yeah. It's, uh, somebody's, uh, somebody needs to fire their PR, uh, department. That's, Whole album, you got a goose. All right, all right. They did that for like a variety of the 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 tracks on on this record, and I just that one was very distinctive for me. Uh, So let's go on to the next three goose videos. Yeah, three. (laughs) They should, you know, we were we were talking about Black Heart Procession doing a video for every song on uh, Mortal Tropico. They should have done a video for every song on this album, which is goose and geese. This uh, it would fit. Yeah. Um, honking goose is, is like that, that horn sound. I mean, just um, birds, like some could, you could have ducks and some and then. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. It'd be perfect. 
So the next track is uh, we're going to slow things down and add some strings. We're going to talk about how to disappear completely. disappear completely uh, if you ask me uh, i feel that this song is a good parallel to the, the song exit music off of okay computer um, this one definitely has very uh more acoustic guitar you've got string arrangements you've got this crazy soaring uh vocals from uh tom york towards the end the song is beautiful i I love this song. It's very sad and downtrodden in the sense, I mean, like, it's not something that you want to play if you're having a bad day. This is just going to further your <laughs> um, your feelings of just, I wish I could disappear completely and not have to worry about any of this. Um, it's just so good, though. I mean, I remember it's haunting. Uh, I, I want to say during meet, uh, meeting people is easy. Like during a sound check, I think I remember hearing Tom actually um, working through how to make this song. Um, I love it. I love this song. It's it's weighty, and I have sat in my car on a rainy day when I'm having a bad day, and this song kind of puts me into that. Oh, I'm not here. This isn't happening. I'm not here. You know, that sort of feeling. Um, I love this song. Uh, I, I'm not sure whose turn it is. I think it's Steven. Steven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's a good song and all, but I mean, let's not come. Let's not put it on the same level as exit music. I mean, let, let, let's for a comparison sake here. Yes. They're both songs by the same band. Um, but that's like, you know, if I were to compare them, I would say that, Exit music for a film is Goodfellas and 
this song is uh, Martin Scorsese's remake of, or not remake, uh, uh, his movie Shutter Island. I just, I'm not definitely the same band. I'm just not putting them in the same uh, tier at all. Um, I know you said you love it. It's not a bad song. I just exit music to me is that's uh, that's on the Mount Rushmore somewhere of, of something. Um, it is a good song. I really enjoy the, the again, the, the use of like this album has a lot of sounds that even if the song progressions aren't doing it for you because they don't hold together like songs, you can never say there's not something interesting sounding going on. And textures, a lot of textures on this album that that's I guess it's like, what is that? It might just be a, a bow drug across some kind of stringed instrument that and it kind of sounds like it's being in, like played in a cave somewhere. You know, that's yeah. the fact I'm talking about. I know exactly. Uh, I love, I, it just yeah. sounds like some stringed in- instrument, but yeah. Yeah, but it, it's, it's kind of it just has this echo to it. Um, it sounds great. I also like, I really like there's a, another thing in this album. A lot of times this album sounds like maybe if you look up to the sky and saw stars twinkling, this is one of the songs that has a bunch of little electronic effects. that sound like bloops and bleeps, but it sounds like lights flicking in and out. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't dislike the song at all. I like it. Um, it's a good ballad. It's sleepy time tea, but, uh, that's not, it, it, it fits here. And then when Tom hits some of those, those really beautiful notes, you'll wake right up. I think on this record, this is the first time he's really going for it with natural singing on this song. Um, yeah, it's all right. It's good. All right. Uh, I mean, I'm just really in love with that string arrangement. I think it's the orchestra of St. John's. And, uh, I think Johnny was the one that arranged that. It's just, it's a really beautiful song for me. And I, I mean, I, I exit music is great, um, but it doesn't have the space that this song does in this sense. I, I think exit music is extremely a fantastic song. Don't get me crossed here, but I think that this one, um, it's not so much better than exit music. It's just, it's a, it's a great sibling to that song. Uh, what do you think, Eric? Oh, come on. Hey, Steve's over there in his little dungeon typing away on his computer saying, oh, shit, my microphone dropped. Uh, type, <laughs> typing away on his computer saying like, oh, it's Shutter Island. Uh, if, if, if exit music is Goodfellas, this is Casino. I'll, I'll allow Irishman. But it's, <laughs> right. be- it's, a, it's, a, right. it's one of the most I'll, fucking beautiful songs they've ever made. It's gorgeous. I'll, I'll give you Irishman, which I do. I do like that movie. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and uh, listen, the song is, is cool. Like lyrically, uh, Tom is, is writing a song about a dream he had where he was kind of like floating around unnoticed, fading in and out of reality. Um, and actually, uh, he referenced Michael Stipe as saying like Michael Stipe would tell him like on these tours, you have to kind of like disassociate with what's going on. Um, it's like compart- compartmentalizing, you know, psychologically um, and kind of becoming a ghost uh, just to, for your own like mental health um, as a defense mechanism. And that's kind of what this song is about. Um there is the first really noticeable guitar work on this song. 
uh, it's acoustic strumming, bass is playing along. It's very pretty. Uh, to your point about the string arrangement, it's great. Um, in actually, I think it was just last year in 2021, they released the Kid A Amnesiac. It's a uh, like a it it puts Kid A Amnesiac and then all of the B sides from the recording sessions into one digital box you can listen to. And so the version of this song is all just the string work. And it's very impressive. Very cool. Um, you know, like, listen, uh, as much as I love my hard edged, like noise shit, I love a song of relatable lyrics, uh, that leans into production. And this absolutely does that. Uh, great song, beautiful, beautiful track. Yeah, I, that's, I mean, when I first heard this particular song, I didn't really take the sleepy time. It was just, it cut right to the emotional. I mean, even though it's almost six minutes long, it's just, it gets me every time. It gets me every time. I love this song. Um, but I understand. I mean, I, I understand like it's not for everybody in the sense of if you have that in your head around exit music, maybe you feel this is a kind of a pale attempt at that but man it's lush it's beautiful and uh quite the vocal performance from from tom i've never thought i've never thought to compare the two until you did that's why i oh interesting okay yeah i, I could see it now yeah i can hear it now yeah so let's go to the next track uh we probably won't be discussing this one as it is an instrumental um that is kind of an interlude between how to disappear completely and track six which is optimistic but first we have to listen to tree fingers was tree fingers a very ambient sounding song and why i always thought it was synthesizers it's actually samples of ed o'brien's guitar work um it's icy it reminds me of what the cover art looks like um it's very cold and uh, i don't have really much more to say about that uh eric what do you think of tree fingers yeah, I mean, that's all you can really say about it. I love that it's the guitar noodling under heavy effects, like kind of repurposed for a ambient track. You can tell that, um, you know, Tom York was kind of driving the ship on this album, and he was heavily influenced by Krautrock and the Bowie's Berlin era. Um, this could be a song on the second half of Low. It could be you know, uh, Tangerine Dream, it's, it's, it's out there. It's good. You know, it works for this. Like they know what they're doing, throwing a little, uh, ambient track on the second half. It, it, it absolutely works. And I do like that. It's, um, O'Brien's guitar noodling under heavy effects because like I said, the musicians in Radiohead 
had to get fucking creative to be a part of this album because uh, Tom was uh, grabbing his samplers, his 808 pedals, and you better find a way to fall in line with that or you were going to be off the record. So uh, it's fine. I, I think it's a, I think this song is important in thinking about the process of how this album got made. Tree fingers. Steven, what do you think of tree this fingers? Song, yeah, this song is, you know, it's ambient. Like you said, yeah, it could fit on the second half of a uh, low or heroes. Um, I mean, when I think of the tree fingers, the name is interesting. The tree fingers is a very interesting pairing of words. I, I think of maybe that's a nickname for some old man that lives down at the end of the road, you know, well, don't go down there. That's where tree fingers lives. Not just tree fingers. Um, <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, it's fine. It's just, you know, ambient selected works. It's definitely placed in a great spot because it makes the impact of the next song hit harder. So that's fun. Yeah. And speaking of that next song, uh, that next song is called Optimistic. And I think we're all going to be pretty optimistic about this track. optimistic uh i'm gonna go ahead and on a limb say this is probably original recipe radiohead in terms of what you are getting on this track they're not necessarily um scrapping the guitar completely because this song is definitely chock full of them um i get that band feeling of them all kind of working and clicking together uh very catchy vocal deliveries from Tom, you can try the best you can, and the best you can is good enough. And uh, this one's optimistic. This one went to market. This one just came out of the swamp, kind of like a three little pigs situation here, or um, the little toe game that you play with your kids. You know, this little piggy went to the market. Um, I like this song quite a bit. I think this might be, even though 
the rest of the record is challenging. Uh, this is a very refreshing sound. When you get to this track, you're like, of course, this is what makes Radiohead so fucking great. Um, I like this this song quite a bit. Um, it has its hills and valleys in the sense of it takes you a little bit on a journey. They have a little bit of a jam session a little bit towards the end. Um, yeah, optimistic. Awesome song. Steven, what do you think of optimistic? Oh yeah, this is this is where it's at. This is the best song in the album. Uh, when it hits every time, I mean, in the in the album itself, you're like, oh whoa, here we go. But it doesn't sound like yeah, original recipe at Radiohead. I agree with you. It also still sounds weird and messy enough to be on this album. It's not like they cut and pasted something off the bends at all. Um, and also, if you're listening to like Radiohead and Shuffle. And it's their whole catalog, and you just you're like, yeah, my God, this band has so many sad songs, like I did recently. <laughs> then this song comes on, and it's just a whole it's a breath a breath of fresh air, even lyrically. I mean, it's called optimistic, but I also I love that lyric. I think about that lyric sometimes. I probably quote it to my kids. You know, you do the best you can. The best you can is good enough. That's great. That's just simple affirmation, but it's true. And I love the way he delivers it. Um, I love the bass line that kind of goes up and down the scale, uh, at, at some parts, um, I, the, woo, that's wonderful. I just, uh, wonderful. The, yeah. The, 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 the vocalization there. Um, yeah. And then the, also the, whoa, 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 towards the end there. That's fun. It's another vocalization. That's great. This song is great. When it comes on, you're just, it just, uh, the whole room, it's like this album is very, if not, it's not suffocating at times, but it is icy and cold, much like the cover. And I think the, uh, the cover has a synergy with the sound of this album. Like few records do this out. Like you guys said, this album, this cover looks like what this album sounds like. Nobody, it's just um, nailed it there. Um, Yeah. But when this song comes on, the windows get opened up. Uh, air gets let into the room. Sunshine gets let in. It has an amazing effect on on the listener. I, I love this song. Great song. Uh, and it uh, is this the one where it sings about dinosaurs too? Is that another yeah? Song? That's right. Yeah. The dinosaurs roaming the earth. Yeah, the dinosaurs room. I, the good lyrics. This, this track has great lyrics too. They're still a little bizarre. They're still a little bit cut and pasty, but not as much. Um. I love it. Good song. Eric, what do you think about it? Yeah, the the lyrics are the best part of the song for me. It's an anti-capitalist song. It's about how corporations fight for every second of our lives. Uh, vultures, um, big fish eating little fish. Uh, basically the Republican platform. Um <laughs> Uh, but then, and then, and I agree with you. But then, the do the best, try the best you can. The best you can is good enough. Yeah, no, no, no. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get to the chorus, you get a I, nice reminder yeah. that we can only do what we can, despite how oppressive the whole world can feel. Exactly. I, yeah, I that's the read I'm getting to. Yep. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. There's a great, like, there's a great visual, visualization lyrics when they're talking about I can help you and it's a messed up marionette floating around a prison ship. <laughs> Jesus, that's a great line. Like, 
you're like you're trapped in the system and then some like puppet flies around saying i can help you i can help you uh that's the, the salesman piece of it and then uh the dinosaurs roam the earth like maybe that's a late stage capitalism dying system it's incredible uh this song takes you on a journey the lyrics are so good i have some bones to pick with the production of this song because i feel like it's all high end there's no real low end to it um which is so weird because the production is so phenomenal on this entire record it's very but but maybe it was meant to just fit in that i kind of like icy uh production style um but anyways it's nonetheless an incredible work of art uh from tom york's position as a singer and all the the bit that went into this um yeah, what a song. Love the guitars in the song. Right? Just that really loose, loose strumming. It's yeah. Great. Yes. Uh, I Like I said, it's like a breath of fresh air. I mean, not to say that I was not liking the cold iciness of the synthesizers and just rhythm, um, but it is nice to see the band all working in as one on this track. It's good stuff. Um, so let's go into the next track, track seven. It's titled In Limbo. in limbo i feel this song um i do have to revisit this isn't one that uh, sticks with me when i hear it i'm like oh yeah this song um it's very dreamy it's very uh i don't know i wouldn't it's kind of like lounge jazzy uh in terms of the um the keyboard sound um, you would see this like at the backdoor lounge, but the rest of the instrumentation is very, um, I don't know. I, I don't know how else to put it. It's, it just feels like Tom's vocals are very spacey. You're living in a fantasy world. I'm lost at sea. Don't bother me. I've lost my way. Um, the song doesn't really go anywhere. It really just kind of stays in that same melody. 
uh, all throughout, which can get a bit repetitive and boring. This song doesn't really engage me as well as some of the other ones. I think it's a good lead in to the next track, but I don't find myself really sticking with this song very often. I, my mind tends to wander. Uh, Eric, would you agree on this one? Yeah, I agree with you on that. It's it. I think it's, it's important for where the album goes from here. Um, I love the ride cymbal heavy beat uh, that, that pans from ear to ear. It is very jazzy. Uh, the guitar is all reverb like a jazz guitar. Basses get a little playful. Um, the vocals are ghostly. And um, he's like singing these radio calls from Irish islands. Like that kind of like fits in this kind of like spooky, like kind of 90s x is like, you know, uh, what's the, uh, the uh, supernatural kind of like this island and this island and like it's 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 very creepy but it goes on too long it's not really a song and it's you know uh i think i, I think as an interlude it could be a little bit shorter and get us where we need to go faster but um cool aspects no doubt about it as a jazz fan which mark is not uh cool aspects but uh goes on a little too long yeah. One thing I forgot to mention is the song, how it ends. It has that, uh, like Tom York vocal effect where it's the man falling down the stairs. Uh, not as, uh, <laughs> not as prominent as that downward spiral remix, but, uh, it's there. It's there. Steven, what do you think of in limbo? Are you, uh, in purgatory with this song? Yeah, it's probably next to the title track, my least favorite song on the album. Not bad. It's just kind of, I don't know. It, 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 the name is right. I mean, it's kind of hard to even discuss it. Um, it's kind of shapeless to me. It, 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 I mean, it's got like some like ping-pongy angles to it, but I have trouble even putting into words how I feel about this song. I think that's a bad sign for this song. Yeah, I, I struggled to really uh, articulate what I really wanted to say. So say no more. Let's go into the next track, which is Idiotic or Idiotech. You decide.
So that was Idiotech. Let's just go with that. Yeah, because it reminds me of Discotech from U2. That's how I say the name. Yeah. Um, so this is some straight up Aphex Twin uh, ping pongy uh, beats that are very dissonant. Uh, I do like this track quite a bit. Um, I have seen them play this song live. Uh, I think they played it on the Amnesiac tour. They could have played it on that set list as well during Hail of the Thief. And you see Tom York bouncing around the stage like he's on a pogo stick, um, and especially towards the end. But I do like this song. Um, Ice Age coming, Ice Age coming, let me hear both sides, let me hear both sides. Uh, throw them in the fire, throw them on the we're not scaremongering, I really enjoy that. This is really happening, uh, hence the, probably that book that we're all looking at. Um, but man, for me, this song does stick with me in my head. Uh, it, it's it got that very intelligent dance music, Aphex Twin feel to it. I'm sure Johnny Greenwood is just laying on the on the stage, just twiddling knobs during the song. But it works for me. I like this song. Steven, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this song's great. Uh, I think they really... Whatever they were after on this record, I think it's done very well on this song. Um, it, it's interesting. It's still... The, you know, yeah, it definitely sounds like Aphex Twin. It's abstract yet still catchy. Uh, it does have the, again, the iciness. Yeah. That, I mean, the iciness, there's two sounds of iciness to me in this track. It's, uh, yep, there he goes. Um, that snapping sound, the beat that's snapping, the kind of echoes. And then also the, you know, the, the, the keys, the, it's, it's good stuff. Kind of harkens back to the opening track in a way. The key, same keyboard tone. Uh, I am a, a, a... One of the parts on this record that always sticks out to me is uh, yeah, the, when the Ice Age comes, the Ice Age comes, and then that part where like the, the skittering drum sound kind of kicks up a bit. Pretty... Pr- pr- stands out in my head. And the lyrics too, Mark, you're right. This is definitely, you know, the talking about the both sides and, uh, this is really happening. I mean, they were ahead of climate change 20 years ago, apparently. Um, there's a great track and I, I am also a bit nostalgic for it because I think this was the first one we heard from this record I think we talked about that already. And I remember it was pretty exciting to hear this as the first song that was off coming off, off this album. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was a huge departure for what they did on the rest of their, um, previously on their career. Um, but Eric, what do you think of this one? It seems that w- this would be up your alley. Oh yeah, no, please. This is my favorite song on the album. It's so it's it's great. Uh, it's very influenced by FX Twin, sure, and, and, and the minimalistic intelligence dan- dance music of, you know, mute records of that, of you know, of five years earlier. Um, but, uh, it still is, you know, it's not derivative. It's very intriguing. It fits in the pastiche of the, al- the entire kid a album as being like very, an icy cold feeling. Um, and it, you know, what I love about it is his vocals are so engaging that the music itself is repetitive. You listen to it 
on its own, it's very good. Good, good, good beat production, good sound, you know, whatever. But the lyrical delivery takes you on a ride. And that's, that's the difference. And, uh, uh, I love this song. I think this is a highlight of the album. My favorite song, um, you know, the ice age coming, the, the, the whole like eco message of this song is amazing. It's like the, uh, Titanic is sinking, but the rich are gathered around having parties while Rome burns. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, way ahead of its time. Uh, great track. And uh, I would, as Radiohead goes on, they continue to dabble with, uh, you know, the techno music. And sometimes Tom does not like his vocal delivery does not match the music. And that's where we fall out. But this would be an example of delivery and music, simpatico, beautiful, top-notch track. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, it does. Yeah. Um, it all seems to maybe not work on paper, but when they brought it to, you know, uh, the recording, it, uh, it all fit. Um, but yeah, I, I like this song quite a bit. It's always been a highlight. And again, Reminds me of the great work that he obviously was influenced by, you know, Aphex Twin, and we're all big fans of that guy. So there's one part on the song that cracks me up every time, which is uh, there's a sound effect that pops in that goes, and it kind of sounds like a droid from Star Wars trying to talk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great descriptor. Um, well, before we, uh, get a little too late on this recording, uh, I think we are almost going to be hearing the morning bell if we don't wrap this up very soon. So let's listen to morning bell. Also, are a fan of Radiohead, you'll notice that this song was reinterpreted on Amnesiac. And I guess we'll get the conversation started with this song. Um, I honestly don't know which version I like better. This one um, is definitely more lounge act uh, with some really great drumming. 
I love that, like, the staccato, or I'm sure Eric will, will uh, correct me, but that um, the drumming on this version appeals to me more than kind of the funeral dirge that is on Amnesiac. Uh, this one is a little bit more upbeat and bouncy, whereas the Amnesiac version is more um, haunted, you know, in the attic. And not sure in the sense of what old Tom is talking about. Some people uh, were interpreting this as a song about a breakup or a divorce. And he, I don't know if he was being like a little cheeky, you know, one of a Mr. Show sketch about interviewing a British guy in a rock band. But he said that he bought a house and it had a ghost in it and it was a friendly ghost. And I mean, it fits for the interpretation of an amnesiac, but here I figure that the ghost and him were playing some uh, late night jazz and uh, really were having a great old time. But Morning Bell, not a bad song. Sometimes I confuse it with In Limbo, but I feel that it is a stronger song than In Limbo. Uh, what do you think about this one, Eric? Yeah, and it's got that kind of Kid A synth uh, pastiche that once you hear it you're like oh yeah 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 this song this 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 is that song and then you will say that again a few other tracks on this album but um regardless you're right about the lyrical like content um talking about like there there's a ghost in the house and um you know you can keep the furniture but release me release me from the house and it's about a haunting um, uh, clothes are on the lawn, furniture. Uh, it's either about a, you know, you could see that as a breakup song or you could cut see the kids as, in half. <laughs> that, that, now that is from the Bible. Uh, one Kings three twenty four. Yeah. Two women are fighting over a baby. So King Solomon says, divide them into smaller pieces. And that could be a very much divorce, uh, thing as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, either way, uh, Tom's a great lyricist, and it, it, it works. Um, you know, I like how Idiotech blends into this song. I think the it, it fits the same pastiche. Um, there is some very insane guitar work by Greenwood towards the end of the song that should be called out. It's very cool. Um, during that walking, 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 yeah. that part. Yeah, that's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, on the Kid A Amnesia version, the uh, the box set that came out recently, there is a In the Dark version of the song with his very organ-heavy, chunky acoustic guitar. It's kind of more of a demo, but worth your time. Check it out. Interesting. Cool. Steven, what do you think about Morning Bell? Which which version do you like better? Actually, before that, let me answer that. Uh, let me ask that to Eric. Which version do you like better?
you, I like this version better. I okay. do like like listen. I'm a I'm a I'm a thematic fanboy. I love that it shows up on both this and Amnesiac. Makes my day. But I do like this version better. Okay, Stephen, what's your thoughts on Morning Bell? Yeah, I prefer the Amnesiac version. It's the uh, Don't Cry Two to Don't Cry One uh, on User Illusion by Guns N' Roses. The real fans know that Don't Cry Two is a superior version, which was not the radio edit. But uh, uh, yeah, I uh, this song, this album. If you listen to this album all the way through, I mean, by this point, every like people love love this album. But it might just be wearing on you the uh, the just the the tempo at some of this album and the iciness might be getting too icy at this point. I like how this song sounds. I think that they nail like yeah, this song sounds like a haunting. That's that's it's very cool. It sounds something about it sounds like a like it sounds like the the movie The Orphanage. Um, I get a little tired of it by the midway point, even though I enjoy it. I think it could be shorter. Um, it's kind of repetitive. I do love that line. Cut the, cut the kids in half. I think that's a very interesting descriptor. I'm the, uh, the only time I usually reference the Bible at work is if I, you know, if two people are at loggerheads and I'm like, all right, who's playing Samson here? So, uh, yeah, it, or, or Solomon, yes, <laughs> King Samson. Now that'd be Doc Sam. That'd be Doc Samson from The Incredible Hulk. Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, you know, the, the, the next track is uh, a great one, and I kind of want to just get there once I know that that exists. So uh, the morning bell's all right, but what are you gonna do? It's I'm ready for the next track. Yeah. And uh, I think so are our listeners. So let's go right ahead and get there. And that is the song Motion Picture Soundtrack. motion picture soundtrack it's track 10 which closes out this record proper um 
there is a little bit of a bonus track that was untitled, but it's just seemingly a coda for this song. But Motion Picture Soundtrack is a great way to end the album. It is a capper. You can see the... Um, if this was a very cinematic situation that you'd be listening to, which I do feel that Radiohead were really trying to accomplish here. Put the headphones on, close your eyes, and take yourself on a uh, an auditory cinematic experience. And I feel that this is a great way to end this record. Um, the I Think You're Crazy, Maybe I Think You're Crazy, uh, it's in contention for being one of their better uh, closing tracks, I think, on here. The Tourist was great, don't get me wrong, on OK Computer. And Street Spirit, again, fantastic closer. And Life in Glass Houses off of the uh, Amnesiac, what a closer that is. That is some Tom Waits, Sad Bastard. Get out of town! That fucking song is... Alright, sorry. That song is hanging on a streetlight at the uh, end of a very long evening. I'll have um, but- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little... Uh, talk about amnesiac when we're getting done here and they'll go into that song but i'm keep going sure um but uh this one is a bit more of a um you see the sun coming up um and uh i will see you in the next life this is shane riding off into the sunset uh so eric what do you or excuse me steven what do you think of this one oh yeah that song's great it's a great closer radiohead like you said are good at closers um even uh, and we're not going to go in depth on any of the other records, but I mean, yeah, the, the typically closing tracks are good. Even I remember even like up to the, the videotape. Is that the song off in rainbows that closes that one? Um, that's another yeah, one. you're right. They're always, they mm-hmm. always got, you know, and then yeah, you, the song after Nisiac's a good closer. Okay. Computer, the Benz, good closing tracks. Uh, this one though. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, that harp, Oh, the harp is what does it for me in this song. The harp sounds like, again, back to like lights, maybe, you know, twinkling. The harp sounds like a shooting star uh, on this track. I love it. It's just beautiful sounding. Um, yeah, it sounds like a sun could be setting or a sign could be rising. Uh, you know, back to the cinematic thing, motion picture soundtrack. Last album, they had a song called exit music for a film. They like to do that. Uh, this is one of the prettier songs on the album. The The vocals sound very calm, like they're kind of singing to you before maybe you go to sleep. Uh, the, what is it? Is it a accordion on this track? What is that? That bagpipe? I mean, what is that? Eric, come on. What does that sound? Yeah. Um, it sounds like an instrument that's like a good, uh, like a key. You you play a key, but it, it manipulates air. Yeah, the, honestly, the organ sounds like it's just kind of dying, like it's a deflated yeah. organ, and the uh, the harp is like a synthesized arpeggio harp, which is just just uh, it's a little shot in the arm. It's great. Yeah, no, it's it's great. The song is great. I kind of like how it kind of it just settles and, and ends into that, uh, that, you know, 32nd hidden track, if you will. Um, it's a nice way to end the album. I think after all of the, uh, after all of the, in this album, like all the, the weird emotions that might get kicked up and weird suffocating iciness, 
a warm, that's it. That's the word. This song is warm compared to the rest of the album. And that's what makes it stand out. And what's wild, this song was written the, like the, around the same time as Creep. I mean, this has been kicking around in their catalog for a while, but just never saw the light of day in an official standpoint. Uh, but just talk about the differences in the songwriting uh, from there to here. And uh, probably didn't sound anywhere near produced like this. And I'm glad they took their time. What do you think of this one, Eric? Yeah, I have that note, too, that like, you know, they wrote this the same time they wrote creep. That's, that's crazy. Uh, I, I think, and that's not the first time that's come up in my research for Radiohead is like, they sat on songs until the timing was right. And I really appreciate that. Um, not just, not just throwing it all in the rubbish bin. That's great. Um, this song though, I mean, please, it's a beautiful ending. It's, uh, uh, it's a little song about somebody taking a bunch of sleeping pills and wine, watching old movies um, to get over a broken heart. Um, yeah, I mean, it might be a suicide song, but it's beautiful. And uh, it's, a, it's a goodbye, and it's a perfect end. And it destroys any notion that this is a concept record. It's not. Um, just a Beautiful, beautiful ending to this album. It's great. Excellent. And then it's followed up by a um, very instrumental track. It comes after about a minute of silence, and that's untitled. And it just essentially is just another kind of warbling um, along with, I think, some of the... Uh, if, I, if memory serves, I think it's more harp, or is it just more of the... Uh, kind of the techno burbles or something. I, yeah. Anyways, yeah, not worth right. really you're discussing. Right. And, and, uh, on the, um, kid, amnesiac box set, there are three versions of out, uh, untitled and they're all, you know, very similar. It's ambient, it's very much like Bowie, Eno, Berlin. There is, uh, you know, some organs there's, yeah, but it's, it's, it's some harp arpeggio, but it's, it's very much that just that different, different approaches to the ambient. You could tell they wanted that, that piece to be what it was. Yeah. Um, so that is kid a, before we get into the rankings, uh, after kid a, they did release amnesiac, uh, Steven, did you want to say anything about life and glass houses? Well, just Amnesiac in general, I find it to be a stronger record. It's way more cohesive. I think there's a lot of stronger songs on there. It's still like it's still experimental. The way I compare these two albums is that I have this. I still have this friend, the chef in San Francisco, and when we'd get to go to his restaurant, that was like it was a restaurant that he owned or partial owner, doing special restaurant things. Yeah, it was pretty good. But when we could go over to his house and he could just cook for us, like at a barbecue or something, and like make more grounded food with his touch on it, that's when it knocked my socks off. And that's how I view these two albums together. Kid A has all these cool parts and like weirdness, but just a little bit more songcraft that you find in Amnesiac makes it stand out for me. But it's still very unique. Um, and yes, that last track, the Life in a Glass House. Uh, 
that's such a great song. I'm always a sucker for anything that kind of sounds like New Orleans, uh, marching bands going down the middle of the street. And in that track, uh, or <laughs> where there's that one horn that goes, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> just uh, every yeah. like it just jumps out at me. Like he sings a line in this song, <laughs> just oh man, uh, yeah. Is anyone listening? In? I love that track. That's a great song. Yeah, I I just love, I Amnesiac. I love that. Album. But, uh, this is this is a good one. We can rank them in a minute, but. I just, I mean, if you listen to them back to back, it's fulfilling, but I think on its own, Amnesiac just stands out. I'm a big Amnesiac guy. Pyramid song, get out of town. That track, oh my gosh. When that thing first came out, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. It's, uh, that song has an epicness to it that it's hard to touch. Yeah. No, uh, Amnesiac is solid. And just to give listeners just a rundown of the rest of the discography, 2002, uh, they have Hail to the Thief, which was their last record under EMI. And uh, that one, I feel, um, takes the best elements of Kid A and the best elements of Amnesiac and puts them together and figures that out. That record is really great. Wolf at the um, Door. Wolf at the Door is another in the long line of like closing tracks. So- yeah. So good lyrics. Good li- that wolf in the does great lyrics. That song. Yeah. Uh, Two thousand and uh, uh, I think nine. When does In Rainbows come out? Uh, Two thousand and seven. And so they self-released it, and they did a Pay What You Want, uh, which uh, works for a band that's that huge. I remember actually only paying five dollars for the for that. <laughs> Um, so I think the average price was around that too. Um, even though it's much worth more than that. Well, that's, that's um, more than the no dollars you probably paid for Moonshade Pool. So. True. I mean, I'm paying uh, Apple, and then hopefully Apple is giving them at least a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, in Rainbows uh, was very highly uh, lauded, and in fact, uh, you can match it up with okay computer you know alternating tracks and that's one theory that that record fits perfectly in with okay computer and you could you could try it yourself at home but it's kind of like that pink floyd wizard of oz thing um not officially done that but people on reddit or their massive fans have done it and they say that it seamlessly fits all together what, like a lot play, of side like playing them together like Zarika? not Zarika. so it starts with airbag uh for track one and then you do track one of 15 step of and you just alternate the songs off of each record yeah in rainbows is 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 not bad uh i like in rainbows fine it was like body snatchers is a amazing but it would sidestep into my least favorite. Yeah, that, he knows. He knows it. <laughs> I, I th- or I thought that was Tom York. Uh, sorry, <laughs> that's the morning. That's the morning bell. <laughs> All right, let's get let's get to uh, our rank. Our, our, what what else did they put out? And let's rank them up. Hold on. Yep. And then uh, King Limbs, uh, which came out in 2011. And then their latest record was uh, Moonshape Pool, which came out in 2016. Uh, yeah, just just no, to give just yeah. to give a really quick review from my perspective, who followed them through all these phases, 
is uh, liked it all, and then you got to King of Limbs and Tom York. His he just did his own thing while the band did another thing, and I don't really feel like there's a lot of strong uh, songs on that record. But then Moon Shaped Pool, they were like, oh yeah, we're a band. Let's walk together. Burn the Witch, amazing single, great, great album. Yeah. And recently, uh, Johnny Greenwood and Tom York have a new side project called The Smile. But every member of that band, uh, besides Colin, has a solo record. Um, and then Johnny Greenwood, um, he's got some solo records along with some musical scores uh, for uh, There Will Be Blood, for example. A lot of P.T. Anderson films he's he's scored for. And Tom York. Phil Selway has. Tom yeah. York's uh, Susperia score is so fucking good it's yeah there's that too unfair Mm -hmm. how good that is it's very very good so that is kid a that is radiohead Uh, i definitely encourage everyone out there to uh start exploring either uh tom york solo stuff there's adams for peace which is essentially a live version of some um solo stuff with like flea nigel godrich is also in the band joey warren Ucker is also there but uh we don't have time for that so check it out tell us what you think in the comments whatever you want to do so for our rankings uh i give kid a um a solid 4.5 it is not a five out of five uh uh what do you want to call them um let's see here uh morning bells you know it's just one of those things that it uh I appreciate where they were trying to go and it definitely is leading a template for where they want to explore themselves as a band. Um, I, I do appreciate that they did try to grow out of being just known as a band that could be lumped in with blur or uh, Oasis, which are two fine bands, but Radiohead, they're doing something completely creatively different. They were inducted into the Musical Hall of Fame by one of their heroes who helped name the band, David Byrne. And uh, they have definitely earned their notoriety in being um, a very creative band. Now, are they the best band on earth? No. Um, But they certainly do try to challenge themselves and their uh, audience and still try to be as successful as possible. So I give them to that. But yeah, 4.5 for for Kid A. Um, it does sag, um, but it does have so many creative outlets on there that it does excite me. Uh, what do you think, Eric? Mark, I, uh, not trying to groom you here. I'm not trying to, to, to kiss your ass, but I will have to agree on that 4.5. And that's, that's because, um, as a Radiohead fan, I fell in and out of love with them over the years. When I come back to it, uh, Kid A, not their best album. They have a 5 out of 5 album. They might have two. But Kid A is a 4.5 out of 5 album. It is pretty. There is a palette of sound that they master in very little time. They know what they're doing. And um, it works for me. It's a tribute to Krautrock ambient techno and still they still have something to say as a band it's fantastic all right steven i'll give it a 3.6 
It's uh, better than good. Not as great as a 10 out of 10 pitchfork review would make you believe. And I try not to let my, the, the, uh, the zealots of Radiohead affect my opinion of them. But sometimes, uh, unfortunately it's not fair to the band. Not that they care. They do not care what Steven Chambers is thinking. They don't even know who I am, but, uh, uh, sometimes when I think of this album, it's hard for me to separate from the people that would like make you think it's the best album of all time. And it's just, you know, that's, I don't know. That's my own baggage. Uh, 3.6 because there's a few other albums uh, above it. Um, that I'll talk about in a second, but I mean, for what it does, the high highs are great. Like you said, Mark, there's a lot of creative outlets in here. There's a lot of just parts, little parts, little snippets, little things that you hear if you're listening just right, that make you smile when you catch them. I mean, some of them happen so fast that you, you barely notice it, but when you do, it's like seeing uh, something out of the corner of your eye. Uh, I, I, and for that, I appreciate it. It was ballsy. Uh, they could, it could have blown up in their face. This could have been a uh, metal machine music for them for God's sakes, but it wasn't. They, uh, they, they pulled it off. No, that's fair. Um, do you have a favorite? I think you already know, my favorite Radiohead record is OK Computer, followed by, uh, I think, The Benz. Um, but what is your number one favorite Radiohead record? Yeah, no, it's OK Computer. And I, 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 I'm not looking at the list I sent you guys, but I'll just, I, OK Computer, followed closely by Amnesiac. Um, yeah. And then The Benz. And then probably this one, but maybe In Rainbows. I really like In Rainbows a lot. And then after in rainbows, I can't even tell you, like, it's really hard for me to differentiate one from the other. I know everybody yeah. screams about moon shaped pool being great, but I, I listened to it and I was like, ah, it sounds about as good as King of limbs to me. I don't, I don't know. Um, so yeah, it, it would be, it, it would be okay. Computer amnesiac, the Benz kid, a, uh, hail to the thief and, and rainbows, King of Limbs and Moonshape Pool are all kind of garbled together. You, you can toss in Tom York's solo album, the first one, in that batch. I like the that eraser. album too. The yeah, the Eraser. They all kind of sound like they're from the same era, though. And you got Pablo Honey at the bottom there. And that's 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 the three versions of Radiohead to me. You've got the '90s, then you've got these. Two, the '90s is one band, and then you've got the band that wrote Amnesiac and Kid A together, and then everything after that's kind of like another band in my in my mind. Yeah, no, I I get that. I I'm pretty high on Hail of the Thief. Um, I think that's pretty great. In Rainbows definitely has a song called The Reckoner, uh, that really is fantastic. Oh yeah. Um but um yeah, no, that's respectable. Uh King of Limbs or Pablo Honey. Probably King of Limbs is probably my least favorite. I feel that one is uh very very jazzy, very esoteric and um, I, it's not my favorite. It's yep. Lotus flower is a great song, but I think King of limbs probably is my least favorite. Uh, fun, fun fact. Uh, two years ago, I got invited to a, uh, zoom is deep in COVID. So this is a very weird, like social experiment, but my cousins in, uh, they invited me to join a, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? Like, a draft music draft pick 
So you like Radiohead is the is is your team, and everybody picks their top twenty songs, and then as people start sharing, you have to eliminate them from your list. If somebody else calls it, whatever. Weirdly, King of Limbs was my least favorite album by a by far. And these these millennials, they they love that album. It was much much higher. Much higher. It was a very weird experience. I don't know what... what That's they, interesting. I don't know what they're smoking, what's in their vape pens, but nope. King of Limbs. That's interesting. The worst. I will put... I will happily put Pablo Honey much higher on my on my ranking. Yeah. Pablo Honey has some uh, interesting moments that do make me smile. It makes me, you know... I like that whole freewheeling Britpop early days. You know, and that fits right there. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's a poor man's space hog album. I mean, speaking of space hog, yeah, I, that resident alien that might be in season four just to make you fucking miserable. But uh, I'm love, glad to see that it. I would love to li- to do that. Let's do it, Mark. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, they're in the new, no, in the new that... Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. Made me smile. I know. Uh, in the meantime, that song's great. I feel like me, and Mark, me and Mark have a uh, pop romance that's happening behind the scenes right now. Because we're what the fuck are you talking aligned. about? I, what do you leave me out of here this way? That's fucking, we're, we're pretty much aligned I, with our Radiohead uh, feels. Yeah, but as far as Brit Top goes, it's a whole other podcast, but... I can, <laughs> I've got, like, I, I'm the, like, I think I'm the pulp guy out of the three of us. And, uh, That's true. I'm the blur. This I'm is hardcore. I, I, I would love to talk Elastica? about this. Is hardcore though. I would say. I would say like like Steve's the pulp guy. I'm the blur guy, and Mark's the Oasis guy. Bull fucking <laughs> shit. We've talked about this before. I'm a bigger blur fan than both of you. <laughs> that is blur. true. Blur's uh, great, but I do feel that like Eric is correct by calling me the Oasis guy. I don't, I don't know why I'm, I'm I don't know why I'm so like passionate about this, but I just uh, I am. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the Blur guy, and uh, maybe it's because uh, you are like if the three of us. Who's like a Noel Gallagher? Who would be a uh, Jarvis Cocker? And who would be a Damon Alburn? You would be the Jarvis Cocker of the three. Well, that's fair. It's fair. Right? Fair. <laughs> fair. Well, most definitely. Uh, all right. Well, uh, you know, uh, let's let's put the knives away. The knives are no longer out. Uh, are we done? The time We're to done. Pick, pick the new, next record? Uh, yes. And uh, we have 11 to choose from. So let's see where we're going next. That's a seven. So seven. Um, so you're gonna laugh and thinking this is rigged. It is not. So we switched out garbage for Peter Gabriel, and that's exactly where we're going to uh, next. 
So, released May 19th, 1986, we are going to be talking about So by Peter Gabriel, picked by Eric. We'll keep going. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I haven't had to edit an episode in a while. It's going to get down to like all the last few episodes of mine. I'm going to have to edit them all in a row. So, not a problem. So, yeah. I'm excited about that one because I uh, am due for a revisit through the discography. That's not going to be too hard, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to be talking about So and maybe where it fits inside of his discography. And I'm looking forward to that talk. It's just going to come at a better moment. Oh, yeah. It's a, so, a great album. That's a, that's, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. So remember, we will talk remember, about So. I remember very specifically when Eric and I were first becoming friends. And for some reason he brought up the song digging in the dirt. And I was like, that is a good song. And there you go. So. Yep. That, that's how and maybe happens. just maybe if I have enough time, I can even listen to those Peter Gabriel Genesis records that I've never heard. So oh, yeah, make, that'll be fun. Just make sure you listen to a, uh, you know, cold chamber with Ozzy Osbourne's cover of shock the monkey. Oh, for sure. <laughs> that will be priority one. All right, folks, we hope that uh, you enjoyed our talk on Radiohead, and we hope that we brought you closer to kid. <laughs> closer to head, maybe? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> that sounds kind of dirty. Yeah, you got the explicit tag on here now. <laughs> yeah, which, which is already on here, considering all the uh, the language that came out when you're discussing who's the bigger Britpop fan, which is a genre of music that none of us are huge fans of, but I, I really am feeling passionate about it tonight. I understand. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Crosses on wood